Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that and maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket. So if I could ask you for one favor, that would be it. Now on to the show. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The pop drop, the pop drop. Just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Now, proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. So this is my first episode on the network, and uh, let's see how it goes. Hopefully uh, I don't disappoint, but uh, I guess let's see what happens, right? And welcome to episode 115, my chat with Jimmy Mazza, Long Island legend, current defenseman, for the Orlando Solar Bears. You've heard me mention uh, Jimmy Mazza the last few episodes, and uh, this was a fun interview. This was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I only knew Jimmy a little bit from when I went down to Orlando. Like I've said, uh, I incorporated him into my presentation. And, you know, you don't, you're in the locker room with a bunch of guys and, and you're meeting everybody, most of them for the first time. You don't really get a feel for everybody. Um, Every single person that was first class and Jimmy was awesome, but I really got to know Jimmy a lot better with this interview and what a personality, uh, probably the best guy to follow, uh, my chat with Ross Olson because, uh, I'll let you listen, but what a fucking personality here on Jimmy an absolute beauty. Uh, but before we get to that, if you're on social media, uh, please scroll down to the episode description of this very episode and you'll see links there to my Twitter, my Facebook, my Instagram. Let's connect if we're not already connected. The logo of this podcast was drawn by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. Joe Marisich is available for hire and you can reach him at GraphicsJoker on Twitter and at LoudEgg.com. Joe Marisich also recently illustrated a book, Islanders A to Z, with Joe Buono. 
And uh, it is a children's book, but you do not have to be a child. You could be immature like me, or you don't even need to have children to enjoy the book. If you're an Islanders fan, this is a must-have. Obviously, I'm going to promote Joe Marisich. He's been very good to me, and uh, the book is phenomenal. The uh, the artwork is phenomenal, and you might learn a thing or learn a thing or two. Maybe I should speak a little slower. Maybe that's what I'll learn. But if you're interested in hiring Joe for any art projects, please, like I said, hit him up on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or at LoudEgg.com. Well, this is where I normally talk about the other hockey fight podcast. And now for the first time I can say we are all under the hockey podcast network umbrella. And, you know, I I tend to be a lot, a little, maybe a lot, uh, self-deprecating, uh, because as I'm fond of saying, I don't do many things well, but I do take a lot of pride in this show. And I know that Darren at the fourth line voice, and I know that Alec at the five for fighting podcast, they take a lot of pride in their shows as well. So it would be easy for me to take the time to say, I don't know what the hockey podcast network is thinking. Uh, they're sinking to the bottom. Uh, as Darren is fond of saying, you have to reach up to touch rock bottom. Although I think that might be a Jim Cornette. I'm not sure. Um, but you know what I'm going to say here? What took them so long? What took you guys so long? Um, you know, they've pretty much cornered the market on, uh, on the hockey fight podcast here. And, um, we have Jordan from five in a game coming along in the fall. Once he gets home from work, uh, working in Alberta. And, um, you know, I, I know that I appreciate the network, uh, bringing me on. Darren is the longtime veteran of the network, the fourth line voice podcast, uh, his latest episode. Uh, he, he does this thing now rapid fire. Now, (laughs) embarrassingly, I will say this. I, I believe I was, I was part of his first episode of the rapid fire. And, um, it was embarrassing. I will admit I was, I was embarrassing. Um, Darren called me Teflon uh, and I was good at deflecting. Um, but, uh, but it was not my, not my best showing. Uh, fortunately, uh, he's done two of these, two more of these episodes now back to back. And the guests have been way better than I was. So, uh, but, but what you could do is what I've been doing is I've been playing at home. So as he's asking the questions, because some of them are new from when I was on, I play at home. So I said, Milton Bradley should do the home version of, uh, of this game, but, uh, another solid episode. I think it was episode three Oh eight, uh, for the veteran here at Darren. Uh, also, Subscribe to his YouTube channel, because honestly, if you've ever watched a fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the fourth line voice YouTube channel. And um, I don't know. I didn't actually ask Darren if he had any input in getting me on the network. I know that he had spoken to them a while back uh, about me doing an Islanders uh, show, not just fighting, like um, just like maybe a weekly show, week in review type stuff. And. Uh, I know that um, I know that the network has a, a few of those shows already, and um, uh, you know I I think I could pull it off, but when it gets to certain things like analytics or prospects or something like that, you know, if this was 30 years ago, I, I definitely would be more confident in it. So I'm going to stay in my lane here. So um, so yeah, so uh, definitely check out the Fourth Line Voice podcast with Darren. Now, my other hockey podcast network brother, Alec Coden-Salen, 
Five for Fighting podcast. Alec is back on the horse here. He's been uh, neglecting my my texts lately, and um, he's been very busy with work. But he put out an episode called Consistently Inconsistent, and he basically explains uh, he's been super busy at work, and uh, he's finally, I think, now ready to get back on the horse and uh, try to get content out weekly. And um, I believe I saw a graphic earlier today where he's ha- he'll have an episode out this week uh, with returning guest Nico Blackman or Blashman. I, I don't remember how to say his name. Uh, he's one of the exciting enforcers there in the East Coast Hockey League. So uh, and uh, Alec and, Dar- and Nico, Alec and Nico, they have a very good rapport. So I would definitely encourage you to uh, to check that out as well. Now, I don't I. <sighs> This is probably the 87th episode in a row where I say I have to check if Alec has resurrected his YouTube channel. He had a great YouTube channel out there, and I know a lot of the boys from the coast, uh, they referenced it, they watched it, uh, and you'll hear uh, Jimmy Mazza even reference it in this interview. Uh, but uh, Alec got into a, a little kerfuffle with uh, Flow Sports and the East Coast Hockey League, and I know he had to remove it, but I'm not sure. I believe he, uh, I believe it's still alive and kicking. Uh, he just can't use uh, their footage. And fuck, you know, I've been saying it for, for months now. Why would the league want free publicity? It's just the, the stupidest fucking thing I've heard in a long time. Um, it was the stupidest thing I heard in a long time until this week when uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League made it official about uh, no more fighting in the league. That's going to be amazing bring a pillow so um so yeah so definitely check out fourth line voice and check out five for fighting uh someone i i really want to thank as well uh is my old pal terry ryan terry is also on the network tales with tr um terry it seems like comes out with two to three episodes a week and um always entertaining if you know terry he's such a personality and if you i've been fortunate enough to know him for probably around almost 30 years and that what you hear of of terry on his podcast is exactly who he is he's a great storyteller and i know he says he likes to ramble a bit but i i just love listening to him he's got amazing stories and he gets that from senior his father and um terry recently had me on his show to help promote me coming to the network and um you know terry's a great friend and i just want to say thank you and also I mean, along with listening to Darren, the fourth line voice and Alec at the five for fighting podcast, you must, must listen to tales with TR, uh, just, just stories. Doesn't have to be hockey. Um, he's had some of the guys from Shorzy on there. He's had a lot of his old teammates and, um, you know, you can't go wrong with this stuff. You definitely want to make make the rotation. This show, Tales with TR, Fourth Line Voice, Five for Fighting, and later on in the fall, Five in a Game. So uh, I'm pretty sure we got you covered here for all of your hockey fight needs. And with Terry, he's going to cover some music, philosophy. Um, and, and please do not miss the episodes where he has Senior on because those are absolutely priceless. Now, I am a game-used uh, equipment collector, jersey collector. So, uh, for instance, Jimmy Mazza today. Uh, Jimmy has told me that at some point this summer we'll hook up and I will get a game-used Jimmy Mazza stick. Uh, but if you have any Jimmy Mazza game-used items that you are interested in maybe trading or selling, please let me know as uh, I'd love to add them to the collection. 
Doesn't have to be just Jimmy Mazza. It could be anything, mostly Islanders and Nordiques related and their farm clubs. But if they're uh, tough, if they're enforcers, uh, I'm willing to listen to anything, especially uh, sticks. And uh, that's the one I have the most of. And uh, I got jerseys. I have skates, helmets, gloves. So uh, it's all down here in the man cave where I'm recording from down here. It's just uh, nice to get away and uh, finally have a place where I can uh, I can display all this stuff. So, so if you have some stuff that you might be looking to get rid of, might be looking to sell, might be looking to trade, please hit me up on social media or if we're, if we're friends, uh, shoot me a text or... Um, an email, whatever, direct message, doesn't matter. Uh, I'd love to hear from you if you think you have something that I might be interested in. So because this is the first episode on the network and I've already rambled on, oh, only about 11 minutes so far. That's not too bad, but but we'll, I'm not going to ramble and I'm not going to uh, talk about the QMJHL in there. Oh, I, You know what? I, I It's just they were held hostage and uh, I don't really want to get into it with the politicians. Uh, it's just horseshit. And it's really, really disappointing. But it, it's this kinder, gentler world we live in now. It's uh, it's uh, Sports is a microcosm of society, right? I know I say that probably every other episode. And, um, and here we go again. Uh, you know, everything's kinder and gentler. Well, maybe except for here in New York City, where it's just an absolute fucking nightmare. But uh, I digress. Um, just a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about Jimmy and um, like I said earlier, Jimmy, Jimmy, this interview was so much fun. And when I went back to listen, I listened to bits and pieces here. Um, I, I heard myself uh, just, it was great. And he, Jimmy is so great. And uh, what a personality on him. And uh just, I can't wait to see him this year. I'd love to get back down to Florida. And uh, actually, the Solar Bears are playing in Worcester this year. I think they're playing three games. Uh, they got uh, a road trip. So they're coming to Worcester. So I'd love to get up there at least for a couple of games. Uh, maybe make it an overnight trip or something and see the boys. You know, Jimmy and uh, Karks and Homer. And, uh, well, Ross is not playing anymore. But I'll definitely make a stop up to, to see him. At, uh, at his new digs and uh, you know the rest of the boys there Luke and and Barney Jr. so it would be uh, it'll be a lot of fun so uh, one other person I want to acknowledge uh, here and and we'll talk about him in the interview uh, Jack Gregg uh, Jack is uh, as I said the godfather of Long Island youth hockey and um, if you're on Long Island and you're interested in uh, any of Jack's schools uh, I'm going to put the link to Jack's website in in the um, episode description. It's been a long day, folks. I just, I worked all day. It's almost 11 o'clock now. So, uh, so just excuse me here, but uh, if you're, if you're on long Island and you have a son or a daughter that's interested in playing hockey, I, I strongly recommend you get a hold of Jack. Uh, by the time it's all said and done, the resume of people that Jack has sent to professional hockey is going to be pretty impressive, but it's more than that. It's, it's, he teaches you camaraderie and uh, teamwork and, and being a part of a team and uh, you know, a brotherhood or a sisterhood, what, whatever you want to say. Um, so I, I, maybe your goal is not to have Jack try to get your child to the NHL, but I, can pretty much guarantee that once your child is done 
with Jack, whether it's a season, two seasons, three seasons, I think they'll be a much better hockey player and an even better person once they come out of the program. So uh, once again, if you're on the island and you're interested, uh, just check the episode description here and you'll see Jack's website and uh, and definitely get in touch with them and you will not be disappointed. So um, thank you to everybody who has supported me uh, before being a part of the network. And thank you going forward. I think there's going to be some pretty exciting things here. Uh, unfortunately, there'll be some solo episodes. I usually get pretty good feedback from them, but I still hate them. But I want to put out content for you people. So um, I have this uh, I have this interview here. I got two more interviews in the can ready to go. And uh, we'll throw in some solo episodes and and let's see what happens down the road. But uh, but thank you to all you people who've been on this journey with me from day one. And without further ado, let's hear from Long Island legend Jimmy Mazza. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor tonight to have the pride of Kings Park, Long Island, a really, really good kid and uh, someone that's a great sport. And we'll get into that later on when I took him a little by surprise this year. Uh, but I don't know anyone that knows this kid that doesn't love him. Uh, I want to welcome Jimmy Mazza to Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. How you doing, Jimmy? Hey, Joe. How you doing? Uh, just uh, super excited to get invited on the podcast and uh, looking forward to a good interview. All right. Well, that's going to be up to you because people know what I bring to the table. And I always say nobody is listening for me. So <laughs> it's all about you guys. So uh, I'm going to hit you. I, I usually have a few first questions I ask, but um, I, I got to ask you this one because it's a name that popped up when I did the uh, research. Now, you and I are both of Italian descent. And uh, I got to ask, is, is Larry Mazza on the uh, Jimmy Mazza family tree there at all? Are we talking Larry Mazza of the Mafia? Larry Mazza of the Mafia. No, he's not. <laughs> uh, thankfully, because I'm pretty sure he was a rat in the Mafia. And uh, it was actually pretty funny. Me and my parents always joke about that. We're like, well, we're not related. If anyone asks, we're not related. So we're <laughs> excellent. So, excellent. Yeah, I had, to, I had to ask. I'm like, I wonder. You never know, right? So uh, <laughs> That's funny. Go. That was good. I knew that, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and you say Larry Mazza of the mom. How many? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of Larry Mazzas, but I'm sure everybody only knows one. Yeah, that's what I'm on. I'm like, wait a second. I was like, that's where he's going with this. So. <laughs> All right. So you're born and bred on Long Island. Um, if I was able to get in a time machine, and it's funny because with a lot of these players I'm interviewing, they're a lot older than you. So if I get into the time machine, I don't have to go back too far to see a little Jimmy. Uh, who did you try to emulate on the ice out there? Who was your uh, favorite player as a kid? Uh, yeah, I grew up a pretty big Ranger fan being born in, uh, 1994 and I emulated Brian Leach. Uh, it was a pretty big deal when he got traded for me. I think it was March 3rd, 2004. Uh, my parents showed me a newspaper, you know, we didn't have Twitter or anything back then. And I was crying in my bedroom. So I would say him. Um, and then, you know, I think as time went along there, I really liked, Dan Girardi, Mark Stahl, and then I kind of got involved with the Islanders a bit. Uh, and when I got involved with them, I was kind of on the bandwagon, you know, newer times. But I like Travis Hamannick and all those guys and, you know, just seeing guys like that who were defensive defensemen who were well-liked by fans. I was going to ask you, um, with Leach, is that that is who your game emulates now, correct, Brian Leach? Yeah, I try to have a point per game and win the playoff MVP <laughs> and do it all. Yeah, for sure, Brian Leach. <laughs> so – 
So let's get to the bottom of this. Now, now for those of you who, who may not have heard the episode, I was able to, uh, to meet Jimmy this year down in Orlando. Um, we'll get, I'll get into that later on nuts and bolts, but uh, I can tell you guys had a good group of, of guys down in that room because as soon as I, I asked Jimmy, I said, what team are you Islanders Rangers to a man? They couldn't wait to go. He's a Ranger fan. He's a Ranger fan. They were ready to sell you down the river very quickly, <laughs> but, but, and obviously listen, it's hard to grow up an Islander fan. If your family's a bunch of Ranger fans, but um, right now, where do you stand? Um, I'll even give you a break if you say you're root for both, but, but where do you stand in your fandom with the Islanders and the Rangers? Uh, for sure. I think, right. I think I'm kind of both, but I, I will say that it's kind of transpired back to the Rangers. What kind of happened with the Islanders was, you know, I was in the Quebec Peewee junior, t- uh, junior hockey team. So they take you when you're 12 up to uh, Quebec to live with the billet family. My coaches were Steve Webb, Benoit Hogue, um, you know, and the Islanders treated us very well with that. And at the time, I was still a kid, like, a Ranger fan. And as I graduated high school over at St. Anthony's, they uh, invited me to their uh, rookie camp because, uh, you know, the Islanders did a great job. Uh, General Manager Garth Snow would invite local guys to kind of be a part of it. And when they started doing that, I kind of had a soft spot for them. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys from that camp are that core group of players today. So it's kind of cool to cheer for them uh, and part of it, too, you know, there's a lot of my friends in the NHL and stuff like that. So I like to cheer for my buddies. So that kind of uh, comes along with my fandom, too. You know, if I uh, like I went to the playoffs and uh, Mikey McLeod was playing and he left me tickets. Mm-hmm. So I got to watch him play. Uh, so I just kind of cheer for my buddies. So Mike McLeod is on the Devils. Yeah. So he's my, like, best friend's brother. Okay. But, like, I wanted the Rangers to win the series. But that game, I was kind of like, all right, let's have Mikey score a goal today. You know what I mean? So... But am I am I wrong? Where I thought I saw your Instagram post. You were wearing a Ranger jersey. No, I didn't have any Ranger okay. jersey. Okay, okay. Yeah, maybe an older one. Okay, maybe an older one. Just making there, sure. So. Just yeah. making sure. Um, what is the significance, if any, to the number seventy-seven? Yeah, so there's actually a uh, really unique significance. I was actually born on July seventh, so it kind of ties in with the seven-seven. Uh, not a lot of people know that. And at the time, it was really only. You know, Paul Coffey, Ray Bork wearing that. Uh, you know, Phil Esposito back in the day with the Rangers, too. But now it's a lot more prevalent than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's my birthday. So my parents actually picked it out for me when I was a kid. Oh, very. oh so you've been wearing that a long time. Oh, I've been wearing it my whole life. I've been yeah. wearing it, you know, from mini mites through co- college through pro. Excellent. So I want to – I want to – um well, you talked about your parents a little bit. So let, let's talk about your parents a little bit because I think – um Anyone that makes it to any level in hockey, um, the sacrifice that the parents make is extreme in terms of getting you to the rink or these tournaments, uh, waking up early, you know, maybe late, you know, just getting ice time isn't always available. Even on Long Island, there's only a number of rinks and there's so many kids that play. Um, talk about uh, talk about your parents a little bit, because I'm sure there's no jimmy maz a professional hockey player without the uh, effort that your parents put in yeah no my parents are unbelievable people uh you know growing up i come from a blue collar family just all cops and uh my dad was a new york city cop you know he did everything he could worked multiple jobs my mom worked an eight to five job growing up my whole life and uh they kind of did it all for me and my sister to be able to uh live out our dreams she played college across you know i'm fortunate to still be playing professional hockey but 
Uh, I think that's where, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty hard worker in my style game, and I think a lot of that comes from the work ethic that they instilled in me. There's another guy who I think needs to get some some uh, credit here. And I think, again, without this guy, there might not be Jimmy Maz, a professional hockey player, and that's Jack Gregg. Um, I reached out to Jack and because I, I wanted to make sure I got all my facts straight. And I didn't know that you started with, with Jack at age seven. And you played with him from age seven to 15. Um, tell me a little bit about um, uh, about playing for him and and what kind of a coach he is, what kind of counselor he is. And not just the on the ice stuff, but maybe off the ice because he's a former pro player. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Jack, uh, Five for Fighting podcast, my friend Alec, he did uh, he did at least one episode, I think maybe two with Jack. So I would go back and listen to it. You learn a little bit about Jack's career. But for me, I think Jack is the godfather of Long Island, ho- Long Island youth hockey. I mean, I think so many people, he's, he's really um, – helped so many people progress, whether it's to pros or, you know, just as far as they're going to go. But I think what he also does is he kind of teaches you a lot of life lessons along the way. Yeah. I mean, Jack's awesome. Anyone you talk to about Jack says he's, you know, the best guy in the world. Um, You know, I could remember being seven and going to Monday clinics with him and doing these clinics, you know, and he coached a lot of good players. You know, he's probably number one guy right now, Sonny Milano. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, obviously, he's been having a great career. He's had Robert Metris Simone, second-round pick. Uh, James Higgins is going to be a top-five pick in the NHL draft in a year. He's been coaching him since he was a kid. Uh, so Jack's been unbelievable just to Long Island hockey in general. And if you look at how far it's come, you kind of had, you know, Thomas Eric and uh, Chris Higgins and, you know, Eric Nysham in that era a little bit, and it kind of dulled out. And it really kind of started to take off again with, you know, that 95, 96, 93 birth years on Long Island. And uh, I think a lot of that had to do with coaching and guys who played pro came back to Long Island to really coach it for kids to experience and learn the proper way. And it's really paying dividends here. One of the things that um, Jack said about you was that you've always been a student of the game. You always studied the hockey DB. Uh, you'd always ask him about different cities and players that he played with. And again, it's almost like you were a sponge trying to get as much knowledge as possible. Yeah, I, my buddies growing up on my team would always bust my chops. I'd be like, uh, you know, a guy on my team would be like, oh, Joey Napoli has nine goals and 14 assists and three penalty, uh, you know, 13 penalty minutes. And I'm like, Jim, how do you know that? <laughs> like, I don't know. But like, you give me a textbook and I read 20 pages. I couldn't tell you. But, uh, yeah, and uh, it just kind of was in my blood, you know. Was, for whatever reason, that's what, uh, you know, God instilled in me. And uh, for the record, I know you're an elite prospects guy, but I'm still a hockey DB guy as well. I'm actually not an elite prospects guy. Oh, I thought you were. No, I, elite prospects has more stuff on it. And I know, I I know that elite prospects, they give you the, um, like the championships and the individual awards. That's what I use it for. But I'm, I'm, my go-to is still hockey DB, but I got to say elite prospects gives you so much more. Oh yeah, I'll give you that. But yeah. I'm glad you stick with Hockey DB. I love. I'm still by the same thing, guys. Like you use Hockey DB. So I mean, I think it shows in my game, and I'm I'm an old school guy. Right. So right. I gotta stick with Hockey DB. Yeah, I generally will use Hockey DB first, and then I'll go to yeah. um, Elite and fill in the blanks because there are like they don't have a lot of the, you know, especially like the the minor hockey. They don't have a lot of that on hockey DB and they definitely don't break it down by championships or anything like that. So, um, so I, but hockey DB is my go-to and then elite prospects fills in the blanks. 
Yeah, I got you. I'll give yeah. you that. Uh, one of the thing that uh, one of the things Jack told me said uh, he remembers uh, your your Royals teams when you were like seven or eight, and how he used to teach you guys how to fight and get the other guys' helmets and face masks off. He said, uh, you know, you and your dad still remember that, and you have a laugh. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I know Big Jim remembers that well too, and uh, I just remember I think it was like after honestly it might have been like mites around that time, and he's like, you know, rip the straps off, pop the cage, throw a right with the glove. You know, at the time you're not throwing your gloves off, throw a right with the glove on, and it was just funny because like you know if you do that today, it's probably you know oh. you know people get upset with those type of things, but. You know, we grew up in a different era. I used to have coaches throwing gloves at my head and stuff like that. Right. You know, you know. now I touch a kid like you tap someone in the butt or something to get going with the stick, and you'll get complaints from parents. It's pretty mm. crazy. But back then you look, and it's it was it was awesome. You know, it was the coolest thing in the world. So, yeah, that was a great time with Jack, and, you know, my dad remembers that pretty well. Yeah, I'm not going to get into it because that's another podcast, but the world is not a better place than it used to be. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely no, it's not. definitely a little deaf, a little softer now. Yeah. And you know, and Jack Jack wanted to point out again, like not only did he have you for all those years as a player, eight looks like eight seasons. Uh you started out, you went back, you started out as a camp counselor when you were fifteen. Uh you've been working with him since two thousand ten. Now you're his head coach and this will be your fourteenth summer and you also help with administration. So uh, you know, it's kind of cool to see that what you got from him and now you're able to give back not only to Jack on the business end, but to the kids on Long Island. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I first off, I appreciate that. And uh, it's really cool to see all ends of it because I've been through it. I was at the camps and then I started actually my first summer was the summer going to band a major. So I was I was young and I was a counselor in training and I did the camp the following week. Mm-hmm. The kids were like, weren't you just coaching us? I'm like, yeah, but now I'm in it. But, uh, so it's, it's cool. And you see these guys move on to, you know, division one college or they get drafted or, you know, I go from being friends with parents to drinking beers with parents. Cause I got older through the process. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty, uh, it's been a gift. I'll put it, I'll put it at that. And, and for those of you maybe that are on Long Island, near Long Island, that would are interested uh, in, in knowing more about Jack, the person we're talking about, his website is jackgreghockey.com, and I'll put a link to it um, in the episode description, also the Instagram and the Facebook pages, so you can get a better look, because honestly, if you're in the area, I don't think there's a, a better person to have have teach your child the fundamentals of the game, and, and like I said, probably some life lessons along the way. So, um, now you mentioned, I didn't know this, that you went to that Quebec Pee Wee tournament. Yeah, it was back in 2006. Now, did, you get, 2006. did you get your own hockey card? I know that's a pretty big deal up there. I do have my own hockey card. Okay. Well, are you looking for one? I might have to send you one. Oh, no, I'm, I, <laughs> that's not even a question. I definitely need one of those. I need one of the old hockey cards, but I know, I know that is, a, you know, the guy I, I've spoken to a lot of guys who played in that tournament and it's a kind of a big deal because most people that grow up playing hockey collect hockey cards. And now this is usually the first time you've ever seen yourself on a hockey card. So you kind of trade with your teammates. Maybe, you know, some other people. And I think sometimes, uh, people have pins and they trade pins up there. Uh, what was that whole experience like? I'm going to tell you a quick little story of that whole experience. So we lived with, uh, we're 12 years old. Uh, I lived with my longest hockey friend, John Caracata. We've known each other since we're three. Um, 
We made the team together. It's more for an experience. We didn't win the tournament, but you're living with a family in Quebec. You're 12 years old, and this is shell shock. We're people from New York, Long Island, and the tournament, it was a great week. I kept in contact with my billet family. Haven't seen them since 2006, and we were playing in Troy Rivier, Quebec this year, and I was able to rekindle. They drove an hour and a half from Quebec City and caught a game. So that's how cool that experience was. I was able to keep in contact with his family. Their kids, you know, 14 years old now or 15 years old. And now I'm like, oh, my God, like he's older than when I stayed at their house, you know. So to see that, to see them for the first time and keep in contact, that was the most the biggest part of that whole experience to me. To me, that's hockey. And I know I I think I discussed a little bit uh, with Olsen about this, like just there's certain things that are like just they just seem to be hockey things. Like I think we talked about the relationship of the guys in the room and the relationship you have with those guys, like no matter what's going on outside the room, in the room, you're brothers. And obviously I, I can't say that other sports are or aren't like that, but I've been fortunate enough over the years where I've known enough hockey guys where it just that the story you just told just seems like only a hockey story. Like that wouldn't, I don't really see that with other sports. And I think that's one of the cool things about the sport that you're talking about something that happened years ago. And now you're just this past season, you're meeting up with these people again. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's all hockey's given so much to not only me, but everyone we play with. You get to travel around the country, the world, and meet all different types of people from all different walks of life. It's uh, it's a great experience. That's one of the best parts of the whole sport. Now, you mentioned that you played high school at St. Anthony's, which is a pretty prestigious school here on the island. Um, now, I don't know much about high school hockey here. Uh, I'm assuming that that is a is, – is St. Anthony's a hockey school, or are they just good at all sports? Uh, St. Anthony's is pretty good at all sports. I wouldn't say you're getting recruited out of St. Anthony's. The travel is the more important part. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, St. Anthony's is usually the, uh, the powerhouse of the sports around here. So at least I like, it's the claim to fame, and I like to let people know. <laughs> now, did you play varsity all four years? So you're not allowed to play as a freshman. So I did three years of uh, varsity, and it was actually my senior year was pretty cool. We won it at the time. I think it still is the last championship won at the Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, overall, because yep. the Coliseum closed down. So that's kind of the uh, claim to fame for me, winning there. It was the first ever Catholic League championship for St. Anthony's. They used to be in a public league. So it was a big deal. It was cool. And you were team captain. Yeah, I was captain for two years. And uh, I think it was that summer. Or no, it was the following summer. I was at Islander camp and we're at the National Coliseum. I'm like, I want to stay championship here <laughs> you know, eight months ago. So it was, it's cool. Now, had you skated on the Coliseum ice before this uh, these Catholic uh, school tournaments? Or that was the first time? I think that was the first time. I'm pretty positive. So actually, no, I take it back. It was with the Quebec Pee Wee team. We played the junior Rangers, one at the garden and one at the Coliseum. So oh, okay. yeah, very cool. Now, um, after the Royals, I guess the next progression on Long Island hockey is the goals. Is that right? Yeah, it was the goals. It was actually kind of a unique situation there. Um, I wanted to stay with the Royals. Um, unfortunately it wasn't going to be a good fit. Um, I remember crying and the coach wanted, at the time there was you 15 and 16. So I'd have to play with older kids. Yeah. And the coach was like, yeah, I'm going with the uh, old team. And, uh, I switched to the gulls, which happened to be one of the, the best things that happened to me. Uh, my coach there 
and the coaches of the junior A team on Long Island at the time was were the New York Junior Bobcats, uh, Ed Galliani, Dan Marshall, and my coach Jamie Cahill. And they worked it out where I was a, you know, 14, 15 year old skating with the junior A team, which was under 21. Wow. So it kind of set me up to play with the junior A team, and all the dominoes kind of fell into place there. I thought I was going to play club hockey, and then I thought I was going to play D three and. You know, next thing you know, I'm playing D1, and I'm at U.S. national camps and all that. So, so with the goals, I see that you played. Um, I guess this might be the U.S. national camp where it says you played for Team Navy. Is that the national camp you're talking about? Yeah, so that's the national camp I was talking about. So basically, they take like the best players from. There's like, I'm gonna say there's more than this, but there's like yeah. ten districts, and New York's actually its own district, mm-hmm. and they take the top two best defensemen from New York, the top four best forwards, and all the districts kind of conglomerate and then you play they you know i'm playing with guys michigan are my team and you play against each other to try to play in the uh ivan Alenko or the five nations tournament okay now the you mentioned the bobcats now now with the bobcats i guess even age wise uh if you were canadian at this point would you would this be like uh major junior or junior a like is this the age where you would have been yeah so that's the age yeah um it was tier three junior a okay so um it was under 20. It was basically 16 to 20 year olds. I think it was a 15 year old when I was there. But um, yeah, that's the age. If you were listening in, it'd be like the OHL or something like that. So I see that you were there two years and I see one year yet 22 PIMS, but the next year you jumped up to 89. Well, we'll talk about my first year. So my first ever game, I'm with the New York Bobcats. I'm this young kid, right? And my team's majority. I was born in 94. We had a lot of 89s and 90s on the team. And uh, so five, six years older, developed. And I'm used to this first ever game. We're playing at Mercer's College. And it is an absolute gong show. I'm watching the showcase. They scratch me. They go, watch a game. And this is still when guys are taking their helmets off and squaring up. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm just glad there's no fast hockey. My mom can't watch this right now. (laughs) The next game I go in, it's my first ever junior game. I go to push this guy off my goalie. And it was from, like, some junior B team in Canada from the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Guy just squares up with me. (laughs) I'm talking first shift. I'm like, uh, right? Mm -hmm. So you go to square up. Now, the Canadian guys aren't allowed to take their helmets off. They had visors on. Mm -hmm. But, like, for whatever reason, they get suspended by Canadian Hockey Association. And I take my whole helmet off with the cage because we're in a cage at the time. And that's what you would do. Yeah. I go, take your helmet off. He's looking at me like, no. So I strap my cage back on, go at him full speed with a cage on. I'm fighting with a cage on. He's got a visor. <laughs> I'm like, I remember I'm on the ice. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like gouging his eyes. I'm like, get me out of here. And uh, there was a kid who wound up signing an NHL deal, Dan O'Donoghue from Long Island. He's in the penalty box. He was at Mercy. He said, Jim, that was awesome. I was like, oh, my God. So uh, that was my first ever adrenaline rush dealing with a hockey fight. So, I thought you were going to say you tried to move him and he didn't move. No, that might have happened too, but <laughs> – so, all right, so then what happened now? So that was your first experience. It looked like, you know, you were a penalty minute a game guy, and now next season you're a little bigger, you have a little more experience. Now you're two minutes a game guy, and you got 89 minutes. Yeah, so that season two, that's just on Hockey DB. I did, I got 104 out of my five years. So okay. I know they weren't all showing on or the elite prospects, right. but, uh, yeah, it, I just took off. I was always a mean little prick, though, like, you know, I was never this uh, guy who'd run around the rink or anything like that. Right. But I was the type of guy who would cross-check you, slash you. You know, I wouldn't really chirp too much. I would just 
you know, I didn't care if you hit me back, but I'm going to hit you hard. So that was always kind of my thing. And, uh, yeah, it just, it, it was my role. It was kind of my style of play. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Listen, Hey, the league can use uh physical defenseman. Thank God. You know, listen, I'm, I know the goal is to be in the NHL. I'm, you know, fortunately the the coast seems to be tailor made for you because uh, seems like everything above the coast now is a little bit too kind and too gentle. So, uh, but of course the money's better, so it's a trade off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> even that. I mean, you look at some of these. Like, I think it's, it it varies by organization. Yeah. I think that the American League is getting a little younger, a little faster for sure. But if you look at the NHL playoffs right now, like these teams that are in the Final Four, like. Florida plays with jam, like Vegas plays with jam. Like these teams still got some jam and the teams that don't like haven't really made it, you know, I mean, maybe it's not as much fighting, but like you got to be able to stick guys and get stuck back. You know, that's my opinion, but. Well, I think with uh, Florida, of course you got Kachuk with Vegas, you got stone, right? He plays that way, but Carolina has got, they're a bunch of fins. They have no, I'll give you, I'll give you that. I hope that Florida decimates them. So yeah. even uh, like Dallas too, they got yeah. Jamie Vanden, you know, a couple of those yeah. guys who you know, yeah. mix it up. Well, I, like, you know, for me, I pretty much stopped watching after the first round. I did hate watch the Leafs a little bit in the second round, but uh, now I'm not, I probably, I, I just want Florida to be Carolina. And if they don't, then whoever wins the West, I want them to be Carolina. <laughs> I just, I just don't want Carolina to win. So, That's right. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. So the uh, the season you had with the Bobcats led to you getting drafted uh, by Youngstown in the USHL, drafted fourth round, fifty fourth overall. Uh, was was the UH, USHL on your radar at that point, or were you maybe looking to go another route? Yeah, at that point it was going to be the USHL. Uh, I, I I actually it was my senior year of high school was that last year with the Bobcats, and USHL wanted me to go out there, and I actually made a decision to stay home. Because I was, you know, be, having that experience as a kid was really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt, you know, leaving halfway through a school year to move out to, I think at the time it was Cedar Rapids or Youngstown. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted me to go out halfway through the year. And I was like, you know what, this isn't worth it. Um, I'm, I want a state championship my senior year. And those are things you, you know, if you if you don't make the NHL and I'm at the point I am and I left, like maybe things work out where like I went on a roll and got hot because that does happen to guys. Mm-hmm. But looking back now i'm glad that i was able to experience that with my friends and family and all that uh so how different was the ushl training camp than any i'm I'm assuming at that point had to be a little different than anything you'd been through yeah so that year in the ushl was honestly in my opinion i still followed i think that year the ushl became the ushl Mm -hmm. um the, the level of play was phenomenal and you started to see the league take off on social media because social media, like Twitter and all that, started really coming out. And I think that really helped push that league. Um, so that league, the skill level in that league really picked up, and you could tell right away with the difference. And later on, and I don't think he was involved. I know he bought the team later on, but Troy Looney wasn't owning the team yet, correct? No, it was Bruce Zolden. So he owned uh, Phantom Fireworks. So we were driving around with the bus with the uh, Phantom Fireworks logos all over. It's pretty cool. Um, I noticed this season you were pretty active with the with the fights. Um, I see they had a preseason fight. That uh, that's luckily some of these are on YouTube. So, um, but before that preseason fight, any any scraps in camp with any of your teammates? Actually, yeah, I broke my nose. Um, yeah, so it was first day of training camp. Uh, this is my first fight probably since. 
that cage incident I was talking about, to be honest with you, I don't remember having fights with the Bobcats. Other guys would fight all the time. Uh, but I was a little bit better on the team. And the guys would just fight for me. And uh, I square up at camp with this kid, Nino Ramita. And like I said, I wasn't having the best first game. Like, I kind of wanted to loosen up. I was a draft pick for the team. I was going to make the team. But I still wanted to look good. And uh, I remember I dropped the gloves and I square up with him. And we have those loose practice jerseys on for training camp. I don't realize this kid does MMA. <laughs> and he's a lefty. And it was actually a really good fight. Like, I wish I watched the film it. Caught me with the left. I go back. You don't even go to the penalty box in these type of camps. They're like, oh, just go back to the bench. <laughs> this kid, Eric Sweetman, who's on the team. He wanted to be on the team extra. stand by the bench. It's like, Jim, you're, uh, your nose is crooked. <laughs> like, what do you mean? And I'm just leaking blood. So that was the first start of the year there. And it kind of parlayed into preseason, right? You're trying to – I'm a guy, if you're trying to make a team, you better do what you got to do. Like, I even fought in preseason this year, like, and I knew I was making a team. But, uh, you know, preseason comes about that year. I think it was Skip Prince, the uh, commissioner of the league, where he comes out. He's like, hey, guys, like, new fighting rule this year. You can only have six fighting majors in the USHL. And he's like, uh, you know, no celebrating, no taking your helmet off to fight. So uh, I go out that game. I take my helmet off. I fight. I celebrate. <laughs> and my coach after the game is like, Jim, the commissioner just said not to do any of that. Like, just don't do it again, right? And I'm like, sorry, sorry. But uh, it was just kind of funny. So, Well, it's funny because you're telling me all this, and I'm like, wait, I watched that fight, and you were pretty excited after the fight. You had both arms up like Rocky and everything. Um, yeah, it was. I think it was an adrenaline rush, right? Because, like, you know, I always respect my opponent in the game, but, like, it's a new team, like, it was just an adrenaline rush. It was like, that's how you kind of learn though. Like you learn to fight, you learn to win, you learn to lose. It, you got to go through it to experience it and learn when's the right time, when's the wrong time. And uh, that's my first training camp fight there. Uh, how did you adapt? How did you find the um, the level of play there? Because obviously this is, I would think, the best level of hockey you had played in up until that point. Uh, how did you find the adjustment to that? Yeah, I think the adjustment for me was a little bit easier than for a guy who comes out of prep school or, you know, midget hockey, because I was playing against guys older than me for two years. So, you know, was the, the skill was better for sure, but at the same time, I was used to the size of guys. Like, I think I adjusted pretty well. I mean, I played in basically every game that year, uh, besides when I had a flu, concussion, suspension. Um but, yeah, I thought it was, uh, you know, we, we should have won the league on top of it. We had guys like Kyle Connor on my team, and uh, we should have won the league that year. Unfortunately, Nathan Walker, he won a cup with the Capitals. He he had broke his neck that year, like uh, a vertebrae, and he was out for game five versus Dubuque, and they wound up winning the whole thing. But uh, we had a great team that year. Uh, going back to Jack, I, one of the things he said is uh, he said he remembers, he goes, when you were in Youngstown, <clears throat> the you, your coach – was starting to tap you to fight. And at the time, this was pretty new to you. And you'd call him for advice, he said, but there was the first time he called that I will always remember. Now, he didn't tell me about the call. He just left it at that. So I'm hoping that you remember the first time you called him about this. Yeah, actually, I do. And it was a guy in my team, Austin Cangelosi. He was our uh, leading scorer. And listen, I, I never looked at myself as a fighter. Like I still don't. Like I think right. it just happens. It's part of my game. You know, I never had twenty yeah. fight seasons, but uh, you know, someone had to do something. And uh, well, at least I felt that. And I remember calling Jack. Like Jack. Like uh, I'm like I can't even sleep. Like you know, I was, was going in the night. He's like, I don't worry about it. Just play the game. 
And ironically, it was actually supposed to be Ross Olsen. Uh, we were playing Cedar Rapids. Like, this this all, you know, comes full circle. I'm sure we'll talk about it later. But uh, he wound up, like, getting hurt or not playing the next game. So nothing actually happened. But, like, I still remember that time, like, the, the anxiousness and all that. I was like, I got to call Jack. Like, Jack's been here, you know? <laughs> so uh, that was kind of uh, one of those first times you, like, you remember that phone call. I'm sure he was like, oh, shit, Jimmy's going through this. But. Well, I think the fight, like you say, you're not you're not a fighter. You're not the prototypical enforcer, but you do still play. And and even back then, you're. I I would assume in the in Orlando, and in Adirondack, you're you're playing decent minutes, kind of like you played back then, because they're not going to dress you if you can't play. They're not going to sit you on the bench. You're going to play. You bring that physical element. You're, you're an old school style defenseman, and. So you're going to have fights that develop that way potentially if you hit someone and they don't like it. But also, you might find yourself, like Adirondack, you may have been the only real physical guy there. So that that will lead you to have some fights, even though it's not necessarily your primary job. That's exactly what happened. Uh, Orlando, not as much. You know, we had a couple guys who were willing to drop him. But yeah. Adirondack is this old-school fan market, unbelievable place to play. I can only imagine if they were winning. I know this year got a pretty rowdy from the guys I spoke with. But, uh, you know, you have to have someone who's going to stick up for your teammates or, you know, they have section N there, get section N going and get them into it. Uh, you know, it's just you got to just kind of find your niche. And, you know, I think I've been fortunate to play in 134 straight games, and it's because I found a niche that I'm good at, you know, so – that's what I would tell, like, young hockey guys. Like, you don't have to be a, a scorer or this enforcer or, you know, sometimes you just got to be good at penalty killing or good at breaking a puck out. Just simple. Like, you don't have to put up 50 points because there's guys who put up 50 points and don't make it anywhere, you know. And so it's, you just got to find a niche and kind of stick with it. Well, I didn't know that you had that streak going. And I think for a guy who plays your style that fights, and let's put it this way, I'm going to say as often as you do because – with the fight rule and everything, you're fighting just as much as most of the other guys and you block shots. The fact that you do all that and you have that streak going, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. Like my whole career has kind of been like that. I think it's kind of comes back to my whole family being cops and just to like suck it up type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but when I was in Reading, my first year pro, um, you know, I'm 17 games in my pro career. I snapped my finger in half. It's the furthest I could bend it forward. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I snap a tendon. I have a, a fracture and the bone sticking through the skin. I'm like, this isn't good. Um, I, the week I'm sp- the week I'm supposed to come back ends up being COVID four months later, missed the whole next season, had like a neck surgery thing. I missed 22 months of my career and I came back and I'm like, I ain't fucking missing a game. Like that was the worst thing in the world. So sometimes you got to suck it up. Like I fought at Adirondack. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch that too. Pierre Luke Letourneau LeBlanc. And mm-hmm. my finger got stuck in his Jersey and I had a boot near deformity. I played with the splint on for 35 straight games. I was like, I'm once again, I was like, I'm not missing. Like, it's kind of just, you know, you miss it. The game that long for 22 months, like, you're going to suck it up. So, since this is just audio, when uh, Jimmy was talking about his finger, he held it up in the camera, and it basically his pinky is at a 90-degree angle. So, <laughs> and also, I think in the last 30 seconds, Jimmy just touched on four things I have notes for. So let's circle back. <laughs> let's circle back. Let's circle back to Youngstown. We always circle back. We'll get yeah. back to all that. We'll circle back to Youngstown because fortunately a good amount of your fights are on uh, are on YouTube here. So uh, so I want to talk about a couple of the fights there. Um, 
fight against the Sioux Falls player, uh, Makozak. Yeah, Makozak, RJ Makozak. So, yeah, honestly, I felt bad. He was a little guy, but we were on a losing streak, and he stuck me in the face with a stick. And uh, it was kind of like someone who had a really bad day at work, Mm. and you didn't really want to poke the bear, and even if you didn't mean to, uh, I felt bad for that guy. Usually, I fight. My, my thing is, I try to fight big guys. Yeah. That way, if I lose, it doesn't matter. Right. So I try to fight the biggest, toughest guys because I'm like, whatever. But a small guy, you know, most of the time, I do whatever. You never know if you're going to get a guy who's going to, you know, beat you up and you look like crap. Yeah. So uh, probably the most entertaining one that is available on video is the Cockrell fight, Garrett Cockrell from Des Moines. That was absolutely wide open, just an absolute slugfest. And I think. Is that the picture that's like your Twitter uh, my banner Twitter page? Header, yeah. yeah, your Twitter header pi- picture there. So uh, talk about that one. Yeah, Garrett was So that actually, that has a backstory too. My uh, roommate in Youngstown was this guy, John Padulo. Uh, he went from being roommates with Michael Delzato and John Tavares for two years to living with Jimmy Mazza for a year. But uh, Johnny <laughs> was like my, one of my best friends there. And he got hip-checked by Garrett a little late after the whistle. And uh, I actually jumped on the ice and was calling out the whole bench and you know, Coxie wound up playing with him in Reading, Pennsylvania for a year. Was his roommate, great guy. But at the time, you know, I thought he was a dickhead. <laughs> and uh, called him off the bench, and we wound up scrapping. And we had a good fight there for the Cavelli Center fans. So that was a uh, that was a good one. And he always breaks my chops. He's like, Dude, "That's still your Twitter header." I'm like, "That's still my pickup there, man." I was like, "It's still you getting punched in the face." So. The, I I love that you said he was your teammate because as I was going through this, I'm like, boy, you know, you really fought for a guy who doesn't have 20 fights a year. A lot of the guys you fought, you ended up being teammates with at some point. It, it's crazy. And at, in Orlando last year to start training camp, mm-hmm. you had Ross Olsen twice, Sadlowski once, and you had this other guy, Brian Bowen, once. So it was three guys in the locker. I'm like, well, I fought him last And it was all the previous year. I'm like, him, him, yeah. him. And I only had... <laughs> Eight fights that year, seven. I had seven in Adirondack for a seven, I figured out. And I was, and you know, four of those fights were in that room. So, <laughs> uh, you had a fight against Michael Holland of Chicago. It was a good scrap. It really seemed like you got got going so, once once your bucket came off. Yeah. So that one was. Uh, we're gonna have Kyle Connor incorporated here, and uh, he's a rookie that year. And I just remember my coach. I actually got suspended after that game because there was only six fights. That was my sixth fight of the year. And he taps me, and he's like, hey, 24 or 44? I want him now. Because Kyle – or something along those lines. Because Kyle got hit, so if you just watch, I kind of just skate. and You know, might not have been the cleanest hit, but I'm like, we're going, right? And uh, But he was another guy. He was a tough kid that year in that league. And, you know, I think if – it's no longer around. I was a dropyourgloves.com guy. But, uh, you know, he was one of the fight leaders that year. And uh, it was a good little t- scrap. The next season, you're in the USPHL premiere. Did uh, did you have the opportunity to go back to the USHL or did I you... did actually yeah. yeah so Youngstown wanted me back mm-hmm. um, I just felt at the time I had a lot of uh, college interest and it kind of like died out a little and uh, I wanted to come back to the East Coast because mm-hmm. that's where I felt the majority of schools were able to watch you all the time mm-hmm. uh, so I was supposed to go back to Youngstown actually Dubuque tried training for me they're like hey <clears> you just played against us in the conference finals and uh, I made a decision I was trying to go with this you know big fish in a little pond route. So that's why I went to the USPHL, and uh, it was my old coaches from the Bobcats who were the coaches of that team, and I knew I was going to play a lot, and that's kind of what happened with that. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah. Um, but before that, you had made uh, you alluded to this earlier. You took part in the Islanders' developmental camp. 
So I want to talk a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. So you're in the camp. You end up playing a playing a game. They had the orange and blue game, right, at the Coliseum. Oh yeah, it's really cool. It's packed in there too. Yeah. So you're on Team Blue. Your coaches, uh, Trent Clatt, and anyone that is a listener to this show knows your uh, what you know. My friend, my buddy, and I love him, Eric Cairns. He was your other coach, correct? Yeah, he was awesome. Great guy. Yeah. Um, now, looking at the rosters, so this is Islander fans will know a lot of these names, and I, a couple. Of, well, at least let me see. One of them is a former guest here. So, you played on a team: Ryan Pollock, Mike Halmo, Anders Lee, Josh Holmstrom. I bring him up because you played for his brother this year in Orlando. Right. Uh, Brock Nelson, Kyle Burrows. And I bring up Mike Dalhusen because he was a former guest on the show. Okay, okay yeah, he was a tough customer. Yeah, too. and you're playing again. Now, your team, I'm looking at the rosters. Your team's pretty stacked because when I noted a few guys on the other team, probably the two biggest names are Mayfield and Ryan Strom. Then yeah. you got another Long Island kid, Joey Diamond, another former guest of the show. Oh, yeah. And uh, Andre Padan, who I, yeah. I like. He's a tough kid. So. um well, let me just ask you first about Joey Diamond. I know he's a little older than you. Uh, did you guys ever cross paths at all, or is it just the age uh, difference? We crossed paths sometimes, but uh, back when his dad was on the job and my dad was uh, a cop. Yeah. Was that on the, yeah, pretty so. They were like partners together or something yeah. weird. But there's this weird connection through Long Island mm-hmm. where they actually knew each other. And uh, so I, I got to know him a little bit through that. And Actually, the first time I met him in person, you know, he had an unbelievable career at Maine. Yeah. Uh, I met him at New York Island Rookie Camp, and uh, okay. he was really nice to me, actually. He was, like, great guy. Yeah. So he's actually playing hockey in Long Beach now, if anyone's yeah. uh, around there. Yep. Yeah, he's a good guy. So tell me what that's like. I mean, so at, you're, you're – I, I always ask this of guys that play with some of these, these kids in junior or whatever it is. And obviously this camp is uh, – how long is it? Maybe a week? Maybe a week? Yeah, I'd now. say it's a week, yeah. But you're playing like you're out there with a guy like like uh, Pulak and Andrews Lee and Brock Nelson. Can you kind of tell like there are certain guys out there that are like destined to to play in the NHL? Is there's it something that's pretty obvious? Guys for sure. Um, there, you can definitely tell with certain guys. Uh, I would say that whole camp. That's the core group of Islanders now. And actually, Casey Zizekas was at that camp too. He didn't play in the game. That okay. guy was an incredible guy, too. Yeah. One of the nicest people I ever met in hockey. Like, I was just a local guy. But, uh, like, to go back when I'm talking about Kyle Connor at Winnipeg, like, he's 16 years old. And, like, you're like, just, how's this guy? He, he got cut by the U.S. program. I'm like, how is this guy not on the U.S. team? Like, you could see it in certain kids or, yeah. you know, guys at that camp, like Brock Nelson, uh, you know, Honors Lee. Like, they're good players. Like, maybe it's a specimen. Like, they're a big dude. Like, Honors uh, Lee is, like, a big guy. Yeah. But uh, they're pretty impressive players, some of them. And some of them aren't. And they turn into Kyle Burrows. Like, yeah. He's a guy who's stuck with it his whole career. Now he's making a career. Um, he's a good player. But, you know, at the time, uh, if you told me he would be playing the NHL this year, I'd probably be like, oh, I'm surprised. Um, come close to any scraps? Not at those camps, no. no. Those are real – those are friendly. Yeah. I, you know, at least it's supposed yeah. to be. They tell you, like – not tell you. They tell you to play with an edge, but don't be idiots out there. I mean, at any point, did you have to take Cairns aside and say, listen, if you don't calm down, I might have to smack you around? <laughs> no, I, I stayed out of trouble. I stayed out of trouble. 
What, what? So, do you have any memories? Of, I mean, obviously, listen, they're they're there for a reason. There's a lot of prospects, but because it's Cairns, I have to ask any any memory. You know, he's a defenseman. You're a defenseman. Did you get to work with him a little bit, or or did he give you any advice? Anything you remember? Yeah, I mean, he gave me good advice. I would say the main memory I have with Eric Cairns is like he's just honestly he was a great guy. Yeah, like I saw him after that, and like I would have never thought in a million years he would have remembered me because you know he's dealing with all his prospects. Right. He's like, hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm like, oh, fuck, you remember it, you know? So I would say that's probably the best memory because that goes a long way with people when someone remembers who you are, even if it's just, you know, a cordial hello. And I thought that was pretty cool on his end because he didn't have to remember. I wasn't a draft pick. I was just a local guy that, you know, they want to say hello to. But talking about being a local guy, I'm sitting next to Devin Taze in the locker room. And oh, this might have been the I went two years in a row as a yeah. local. And the cameras come in the room. Uh, it was either Griffin Reinhardt or Doc Cole were the first round picks that year. They go right to them, and then, like, three cameras come to me, <laughs> right? Because I'm a local guy. So I'm, like, getting interviewed. I'm in one of my And Devin Tays looks at me, and he goes, who are you? <laughs> like, he's, like, not in a bad way, but he's, like, yeah. the cameras are with Reinhardt, Del Cole, and you. <laughs> so that was kind of a funny memory. I'm, like, dude, I'm just a local guy. Like, you know, I had a good little career going, and, uh, one other guy I'd say is a great guy. We had a Youngstown Phantom relationship. Was a connection mm-hmm. was a Scott Mayfield, yeah. like unbelievable guy, like really nice. Like you know, takes the time to go out of his way, say hello to you. I would say he's another guy I want to say. I remember being a great guy. Uh, how many family members were at that game, the blue and orange game? Uh, I had a bunch for sure. Yeah. Like I mean, my mom's one of seven, and my dad's one of four. So oh, okay. I'm sure a bunch of my uncles and cousins were there. Uh, and then you get people who are just huge Islander fans or hockey fans from high school. Like, Jim, I saw you at the game. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was a good experience. So I got to ask you, did you did you get to keep the jersey? No, no jersey. Okay. Cogsy still might have it, though. I don't know. Our equipment manager in uh, Orlando was obviously the equipment manager back then. And I think he's got that framing on his wall in his basement, the uh, number 64 Mazda jersey. I think he – you know what? I think he does. And if he doesn't, <laughs> why not? I mean, it was a hot item, so obviously yeah. – Oh, you didn't walk in there like a big shot and ask for 77? No, I, I wanted to. I tried. I might ask them for gloves. I can keep these. Yeah, I, I want Turgeon's old number. <laughs> so uh, so that must have been – so now you, you leave that experience, right, and you're on there and you're playing with these guys. That had to give you – obviously you held your own, and now you're going to play with the uh, PAL, with the Junior Islanders. Uh, had to just have a ton of confidence. Yeah, I mean, it was a really, like you said, it was a great experience to learn. I actually had, the first year, I had a better camp than the second year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a lot of confidence with that. We were coming off almost winning a Clark Cup in the USHL with Youngstown. And I think it was a hard transition because, you know, I was playing at the best league. And now I was playing at the second, third best league for juniors. And it was my own choice. And I think that was a little hard to get over. But like I said, I, I made the choice to be this bigger fish in a little pond. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it definitely helped going to rookie camp in the summer to have a little bit of swag and mojo to go into that next year. Right. And so you, you termed it the big fish in the smaller pond. Does that mean the level of play was not yeah, as no, competitive? Like, it was still a good league. Like yeah. we still had probably like, I don't know, 40 division one commitments, but mm-hmm. you know, when you're in the USHL, you're playing in front of sold out, you know, you're in Cedar Rapids with 4,000 fans and there's 24 guys rostered and 19 are committed division one. A lot of those guys are pre-committed going out there. Like, so the view and we didn't really have, you know, flow hockey and all that. So it was a lot harder for schools to get out there and watch. So that's kind of why I came back 
because schools were an hour drive to Massachusetts games and stuff like that. So your first year with the Junior Islanders, 48 games, 24 points, 92 PIMS. Your second year, the PIMS go up to 124, and you got 49 points in 50 games. And this is from the blue line. Yeah. So you're you're uh, like Ray Bork back there, I guess, right? Or you're actually Brian Leach. Yeah, I might have well, been not with the pimps though, not with the pimps. Not with the pimps, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it, the year kind of worked out. I think it helped. I'd committed to college the previous year, mm-hmm. and I think going in with no stress, it was like, all right, like let's just have some fun with it. And you know, I I took so many penalties that year. There's there's <laughs> no fighting in that league. I think I had like a penalty in every single game. Like Youngstown, I had 106 penalty minutes, mm-hmm. and I think 82 of them were misconducts or coincidentals, which is crazy. <laughs> like a great statistic. In PIL, it was like every one of those, like a penalty, you know. But I mean, it was a softer league too. Like you couldn't do anything. Was, mm-hmm. Then my boy, uh, one of my boys was a rep. Uh, I was going to drop his name, but I don't want to get him in trouble. But <laughs> he, uh, I'll say it, Eric Ertz, he would call me for penalties all the time. I had him in junior, high school, college. He probably called me for 78 penalties that year, 78 <laughs> minutes. Carried right into college. Brian Pinkett, same thing. Mm-hmm. Nice guys. They're my boys now on Facebook. But uh, they still hear it from me. Now, I, I have a challenge. Uh, obviously, you can't plan this stuff, but this is the most penalty minute you've ever had in the season was the 124. Right. And then if you had a playoff side, I'd make it 134. I feel better about myself. But, yeah. Well, I want you to, I want you to top that this year. <laughs> I want. Don't tell Karks. I won't tell. Him. Yeah, but I want. I want. I want you to top that this year. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. Oh, we'll see. We do a couple more misconducts. Yeah. Uh, so the team captain this year, you were uh, you led the team at penalty minutes. Okay, you were second in the league. Do you know who was third? Um, I'm I'm going to say I do because I listened to your podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you had Ross Olson, and then I think it was Nate Ferrario as one. Well, I uh, I brought that up because I'm looking at the penalty minutes, and I'm like, oh, there we go. Ross is third, Maz is second. Uh, do you remember playing against him in this league? I do because I remember the, the other thing is like when you have guys who play in the USHL and go back to USPHL, yeah. it's usually a local guy. Like he was a Massachusetts guy, played for the Massachusetts team, so like you always kind of remember those guys when you go back in those leagues. And plus, he's eight feet tall. He's a brick, and you know you're playing juniors. The kids aren't as big, right? I mean, so, uh, he's, he's he definitely a, stands out. He's like six ten. He's like sixty pounds. Yeah, How could you miss him, right? <laughs> you can't miss him. Yeah, you know? but uh, yeah. So I do remember playing against him. You know, he always played with an edge. He was always a good guy, and uh, he actually a couple of my buddies wound up being his roommates in college. So oh, nice from PIL. I think three guys went to Endicott with him. Oh, so. cool. Yeah, so it was a little bit of a connection. They're like, "Oh, he's committed. I'm committed." You know, I'm like, "Oh, well, you know, fuck you guys. I don't care. I'm gonna stick him in the throat anyway. Get you another gotta, five penalty minutes. You got to do what you got to do." Yeah. Uh, and USPHL Premier Defenseman of the Year. Yeah, like I said, it kind of for anyone in any sport. I think when you're comfortable in a situation and you don't have stress on you it makes it a lot easier to play a game or do your job because you're playing with house money. And I think that year it was kind of one of those house money years and uh, it just worked out. And I had great coaching and good teammates that uh, obviously helped in that. Now you mentioned that you had committed to Canisius. Um, yeah. What other schools were you looking at or was Canisius, was that your school from day one? 
No, so actually, Canisius at the time, they were the first school to ever offer me. And it was my first year junior. And I was like, what is Canisius College? I had no yeah. idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, they always kind of kept tabs with me. They, they offered me. And uh, I had the, one of the things that I did that was tough, they didn't have a rink at the time. Now, they had a rink when I eventually went. They didn't have one at the time, and I came straight from visiting Penn State. Okay. It was a small school, Canisius College with no rink. Right. In Buffalo. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the hardest thing with that, or I would have committed there earlier. Right. And I would have actually gone earlier, but whatever. Um, so I had Lowell, you know, Lowell offered, Mercier's, Union. Uh, and then I visited Quinnipiac, Penn State, a uh, couple other schools, and – it kind of got quiet for a bit, and then mm -hmm. Kanisha's called her like two years later, like, hey, I know we offered you, but we want to re-offer you. We have a rink now. The rink's awesome. It's <laughs> beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you guys got a rink, locker room? Boom, sign me up. I'm in. Mm -hmm. And that one up being phenomenal. Like, my class specifically, we were a nationally ranked team in college hockey. Like, we made this small school. We got up to, I think, like 15 in the polls, 14 in the polls, like us and Air Force. Won the league, so it was the best decision of my life going there. Now, it is a small school, but it is Division One, right? Oh, it's Division One, yeah. Yeah. So they're actually in the tournament this year. They played uh, Minnesota in the tournament, I think. So it's a smaller Division One school. Uh, so I don't know much about college hockey, but I was trying to figure out uh, your biggest rival. Would that have been Niagara? Niagara would be the biggest, uh, biggest rival, yeah. And I always loved playing against them because, you know, all the college kids were going to those games. Yeah. But, oh, this is going to be fun. So I probably – I think – I might have the record for points versus Niagara, I swear to God. Wow. I, I – I hated playing them, Wait. like in a good way, as a rival. I was like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want <laughs> for yeah, whatever we... reason. I wish I did it versus every team. But them, I was just like, rivalry, you know? Now, how? who got the your four years there? Was one team more dominant against the other? I think we want to play them in the playoffs. But I think we lost like three games versus them in four years. Wow. Like it happened. The only bad part was they wound up knocking us out my senior year. Or we, had, or we had a weird goalie situation where our starter got very sick and he couldn't, like, that whole season. But uh, they knocked us out my senior year. But other than that, it was, I think we went 14-4. and four. Wow. So there was, like, a, it was, and it was fun. <laughs> it was like, we got Niagara, you know. But they're yeah. a good team. They've got a great coach. Like, their coach is very good. Um, it was a good rivalry. Now, was there a player on Niagara that you, you kind of got up to play against? Like, you you want to crush him in front of the net. Was there someone on the team that – obviously, you hate all of them. But was well, there I anyone in particular? With, uh, I joke with Chris Harper because he was at uh, Niagara for two years. Oh, okay. he was, so, Chris Harper was a defenseman at Orlando with me this past yep. year. And uh, I love to just say that, like, I was like, Chris, I'd love playing against you. I love dangling. <laughs> you know, I love to just bust his chops. But uh, it was always fun. It's all fun and games, right? At the end of the day – you know, you look back on college, and it's about that experience. And obviously, you want to win. We are able to do that most of the time. Um, but the experience of playing with, you know, twenty-five guys for four years was just incredible. And similar to what I asked you before about going up a league, so now you're playing Division One hockey. How was that transition for you? Yeah, I think I was a little bit fortunate. Um, we didn't. We only had like five upperclassmen my freshman year. So we replaced like this huge batch of guys and um, it gave all of us, my whole class and the sophomore class opportunities to play a lot of power play penalty kill. Um, so I think it was just a good time to go there because uh, the coach knew it was going to be development mm -hmm. for that first year or two. So I think it was a, a great experience. 
Now, one thing I noticed you seem to be very active in is the uh, the Movember campaign yeah. for, for men's health. Did that start here in uh, Canisius? Yeah, it started in Canisius. And then uh, I think it was my uh, – yeah, I always did it, right? Like yeah. got whatever, you know, a couple hundred bucks. And my first year pro uh, in Reading, I was like – I started to like promote it. Like I'm not just talking post it. Like I would like yeah. take pictures of people. Thank you for doing this. Like this is awesome. Share it. And then they would share, and then other people, like, I think last year I got almost $3,000 raised, and over time, uh, for the Movember Foundation, which is, like, for men's mental health, mm-hmm. prostate cancer, testicular cancer, so that's what the foundation's known for, uh, we're up to over, like, we're close to, like, $11,000 raised. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's really cool to be a part of, like, obviously, you know, it, it doesn't get done without the help of other people. Right. But uh, it's for a cause that I think specifically with hockey, you do you know you wear a mustache all November, November, and it's really to me it starts with hockey and college, and it is what it is now. <laughs> I noticed in uh, in the notes I took for your sophomore year, we'll go back to uh, Niagara. Uh, you had a game-winning goal against Niagara in the quarters. Uh, you had uh, you assisted on the game winning the series clinching goal against Niagara, so you really did like playing against them. Yeah, no, I I, I enjoyed playing against them. <laughs> I wish I could play against them every night. Uh, plus, it's a, plus it's a rivalry; it's yeah. forty five minutes away. Uh, you know, it was nice the end of that senior year. Like we won on an eighteen games undefeated, um, and I came off of shoulder labral surgery, so I actually I missed the cool trip. We played against North Dakota that year. I missed that, so. I had a tough start to that year because of my shoulder I was coming back from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really nice to finish the year strong with the team doing really well. And, I, I mean, uh, I got to say it. I said the same thing with Olsen. You guys are smarter than you let on. I got three years. You were Atlantic Hockey All Academic. Yeah, I tried my best. <laughs> uh, I was a business major, too. I wasn't, you know, I I put my time in. Uh, it's a good teacher. It's a good school. Like, I don't yeah. know. I just, I wouldn't say I'm a wiz, but I'm a pretty, I'm a smart guy. I'm with it. So <laughs> You're smart like Fredo. Yeah. <laughs> All Come right. On, don't call me Fredo. <laughs> well, cause that's what he said. I'm smart. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Uh, All right. Senior year. There's an October game against air force. So now what I did was I went through looking at the, the, not the game notes of everything, but I looked at your penalty minutes for every game that you played there. There's gotcha. one one game where there wasn't an even number. You had a crooked number in one game, and that was against Air Force in 2018. Uh, you had three penalties for 17 minutes, and I believe you got suspended for contact to the head in this game. Yeah, what I was, was just, the story with honestly, this? like, the college hockey is such a joke when it comes to reviewing things. Um, I don't play there anymore, so I, yeah. I feel like I could go off. But go if off. you touch – if you touch someone, it's, like, reviewable, cancelable. Like, I think the guy that I hit, the guy was literally, he caught an edge. He's sliding at my feet. I'm trying to jump and avoid him, and I, I catch him. But, like, it clearly wasn't going to be a hit. The co- He's a good coach. The guy, Saratory Air Force, great coach. Happened to be his nephew who I hit. Mm. Accidentally feel bad about it, like, whatever. But uh, it should have never been a suspension. Like, there's, it, it's college hockey in a nutshell. So, um, and that was just like, whatever. Was, don't get me started. Though. I was, I was pretty, I'm still fired. And it happened in like the first period. So it was really like a two game suspension. I'm like, are you like, cause I got kicked out right away. Yeah. But, uh, whatever. Looking back though, like that senior year, you know, like I said, Canisius, we, 
swept Nodak my senior year, which was a big deal for our program. Tied Union. Clarkson finished number one in the rankings there. We beat them 7-3. So, I mean, senior year was still great, even though I got suspended and, you know, things didn't work out the way they worked out all other years. But uh, it was still, a, you know, a great experience. I kind of feel like I want to poke the bear a little more and talk about the suspension. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, You're all fired up. Was, I think it was my boy Ernst who called me for it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, Eric, you've been refing me since I'm 12. Somehow you're still refing me in college hockey right now. Why are you calling me out of the game for that? He's like, well, you meant to do it. I'm like, I didn't mean to do it, dude. Like, I would have slid at your feet. But whatever. Um, You scored two goals in a game that season. Do you remember who it was against? Two goals. It was Niagara. There you go. <laughs> it was Niagara. It was playoffs. Yep. I just it wanted to see if you remember. Yeah. It was. Uh, that was Niagara. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was actually pretty funny. So we were doing. Um, it's my senior year. I don't even know if my college coach knows this because he's not in the room for those things. But we do a uh, pregame like lineup read. Yeah. And uh, I was getting crazy in the playoffs because like we started to get hot. Like we were playing really good hockey. So they kept the lineup shooting. I mean, I do like I play a song, come out of the bathroom. And uh, we had this kid who was like, um, he was like a young, he was a younger kid who like stayed with the team, mm-hmm. um, and he was kid Declan, and he would like stay in the locker room like you know he was like our little brother kind of, and he's filming it, and I come out the one game, I think it was the game I had two goals and assist, and uh, I come out playing save a horse ride a cowboy with a cowboy hat on, and I lit a cigarette. <laughs> And I'm coming out of the bathroom, and these guys are like, what the hell is going on right now? And I'm blasting it. I'm taking it. I put the cigarette out on my hand, and I'm like, ah! And I'm reading the lineup to everyone. I went out, and like, like Jim, like, you had two goals and an assist after hacking a dart before the game. You know, but yeah. uh, it was kind of a funny experience. You know, I wasn't, like, smoking the game, but it was more just right. for, the, for the looks of it. But, uh, yeah, to this day, I don't know if my coach knows I did that one. But uh, pretty funny. Well, I mean, and, and – uh... Obviously, athletes are a superstitious bunch. You oh, know? yeah. So you, gotta, you have to go with the flow. Team's hot. You got to think of something special every day. Or you know? or you scored two goals after putting a cigarette out on you. Did you not try that the next no, game? No, I didn't. I didn't. I should have did it again. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's but. pretty obvious. So. <laughs> got the boys going, though. I can tell you that much. I, I would have loved to see that. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope ny Four six seven three six nine in Kansas. Call one eight hundred five two two forty seven hundred on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Twenty one plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. How did you end up with uh, with Reading after college? Yeah, so um, college is where you're waiting for a deal. You're waiting to see what happens. And uh, at the time, I knew the uh, – it was kind of between there, Charleston, and 
the assistant coach at Reading at the time was a Long Island guy, Mike Marcou, and my buddy Frank DiCiara, uh, another Italian guy. He was uh, he was playing there, and they were kind of like, hey, like come to Reading. Um, you know, it should be a good experience. Uh, they're doing pretty well, and I was like, yeah, I'll go there and play a couple games. And uh, actually, I think my second game we were losing, I fought in it. Um, so uh, that was kind of my experience of pro hockey. And then from there, I played with the Reading, and that's the start of the pro career. So that second game you fought Connor Moynihan. Now, funny thing is about the East Coast Hockey League. Um, I remember the East Coast Hockey League way back, and it's a league that sort of made its bones on its physical hockey, uh, which they're sort of – the league is great in terms of phys- physicality now, but the people in charge, I think they're trying to keep it a secret. So, like, all the fight videos, they're taking them all off uh, YouTube and all this well, other stuff. Well, it because of five for fighting. Yeah used to post all of them and like as players like we like to see those things like, yeah I mean, cool to look back and it was tough but uh, yeah. i have a bunch i could send you just to look yeah. at for yourself but uh i won't forget i came out uh, that year reading was pretty soft and that, that's not why they tried getting me reading because i was a tougher player mm. but that was the my mom came to the game my dad and they thought it was gonna be this goon league and the echl is a skilled league yeah it is not an easy league to survive in mm-hmm. Like, these guys can play hockey. Yeah. And uh, that was the first thing we took out of it. And that was actually, like, the first fight, like, 16 games for Reading. Yeah. It was, like, this guy in college. Yeah. You know, same thing. Uh, you know, you're trying to make a team. Like, you got to do what you got to do. So. But, but see, that just proves my point. Like, like we discussed before we started interviewing, I'm, I'm closer in age to your parents than I am you. And they thought it was going to be, like, a goon league because I'm sure your dad remembers. Oh, dude, they thought it was going to be, like, this is horrible. Like, this is going to be just people getting suckered and and like, it's a really good league like they should have two refs every game only yeah. one for you know half the games or whatever but it's a, it's a very very skilled league there's ex-nhlers there's guys in, who will be in the nhl like hayden hodgson on the flyers like he had a minor league journey to the nhl uh he was with me in redding and you know there's a bunch of guys max woman same thing this guy max woman in redding was scratched the first 11 games of his pro career in redding mm-hmm. i was like this guy's never gonna even play here yeah. A year later, he's in the NHL. <laughs> good, nice guy. Good player. Can skate like the wind. But, like, sometimes it's about opportunity and being put in the right situation. But it goes to show you the development of the league and how far the league's come of developing players. Yeah, and I was going to say, your dad probably remembers it from the 80s or the 90s where it was a really violent yeah. league. And it was – it like, now, obviously, they're, they're still – it's the third best league in the world. Okay, and there's still that divide between the coast and the American League and then the American League and the NHL. But back then, it almost feels like if you went down to the coast in the 80s, that was sort of like your death sentence. You're probably not getting called up where now it's it's a legitimate developmental league. And you still like you say, you can get to the NHL from the coast. But your dad, like I said, your dad and I being around the same age, we remember the old East Coast League. You know, right. which is sort of irritating in a way because I'm not saying you have to promote all your fights and everything like that, but there are people my age that remember the dark arenas and the you know Johnstown and all this other stuff, and it's just like you don't have to promote your fights, but you don't have to actively go screw people who are still trying. Yeah, to I, I don't understand the, the concept behind that. Like, yeah, I get like if the league doesn't want to do it, but if you have a fan doing it, and yeah, obviously like it does draw people into the rink. Like, there's still that fan base. Like, I don't. I don't see the big deal. Like, the, right. if anything, the ECHL is going to lose people that they're they're getting free marketing from. Right, that. <laughs> it's free marketing. Like, you're not paying a penny. Someone else is doing it. I think it's really silly. Uh, 
but that's my take. And this is from a business major. This is from a business major, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a marketing major on top of that. Look at that. So but, uh, you play the two games with Reading. Uh, was it a foregone conclusion you were going back there, or did were there other? Yeah, teams no, that were it was uh, pretty set that I was going to go back there. So that was kind of the uh, the plan was to do that, play a couple games, and then head back. Uh, preseason fight that year with uh, Alexander Carrier of Adirondack. How'd that go? <laughs> it was actually a good fight. I, I, I keep trying to get that on film, mm-hmm. uh, but they I couldn't get that. They didn't have it online or anything. Uh, preseason. So the game before. There was like this crazy line brawl that happened, um, crazy, and uh, <laughs> actually I won't say any names here. Like during that brawl, there was a guy who took a guy's necklace on another team, mm-hmm. and like he's like, "Man, I got this necklace." And I was like, <laughs> "Like, what are you gonna do with it?" He's like, "I'm bringing it to the pawn shop." And he, like, he pawned it off. I was like, "Dude," like, <laughs> but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of funny. But there was this big line brawl that happened. And I went up grabbing this guy, Blake Thompson, and I went up being good buddies with him when I played in Adirondack Fire. And uh, I'm like, we're going, man. I got to make the team. Our coach is mad. This guy, Corey Mackin, just got knocked out. I'm like, he's like, dude, I ain't going. I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> so this whole line roll happens. Nothing happens with me. I get kicked out or whatever. Next game, we're going around now. We're winning like 4-5-1, and I'm just laying body. Like, there are certain games where, like, you will feel, like, a little jammed. Yeah, and, like, I was laying body. Carrier's like, we're going. I'm like, oh, we're not going. And he's like, we're going. And uh, I wound up being a good tilt. I, same thing. Like, a lot of the times I just go for big guys. Like, yeah. I don't know if they're tough or not. He wound up being a tough customer. And he's like, yeah. I, you know? And uh, I I won't forget, he joked to me afterwards. He's like, man, you had these big hands. And, like, I just missed him with this uppercut. Oh. It was like, I could feel, like, you know, the nose hairs. Like, to this day, I'm like, oh, I wish I could rewatch that. But, uh, you know, it was a cordial fight. We respected each other. Uh it was good. It was funny. It was, I, I wish I could rewatch it. There was no film that day, so it's kind of about myself. Uh, regular season, you ended up playing 17 games, uh, 14 pims. I think they're all minors. Was there not an opportunity? Did any no. you ever come close? When I was in Reading, like yeah. we were a very skilled team, and for whatever reason, we just never needed to really fight. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, like I'm not going out of my way for it. Right. Um, it just didn't happen. Yeah. You know. Well, and as you know, there's a big difference between the North and the South in terms of toughness. Oh, for sure. I mean, the yeah. North, you really just have, like, the, the guys on Reading would joke me when I was in Adirondack. They were like, man, he's the king of the North, like, joking. Like, <laughs> it, was a, it was a complete joke yeah. because there's no one. Like, you have James Melindy, but he's older yeah. now in his career. And, uh, and This year was a little tougher, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. you have Turcotte and guys like that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, in my year, there was, it was really not. There, there were tough guys, but there wasn't any of the nail guns. Put it that way. No right. Travis Howes, no right. Kyle Newbers, mm-hmm. no guys like that. Right. So it was kind of a funny joke. We'd all joke about it. Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned the injury, and that I did want to ask you, it seemed like you were ready to come back, and then the season was canceled. So I was ready to actually come back. My coach goes, oh, Jim, like, I'm still like in a red jersey. And he's like, oh, how about you go during this three-on-three drill? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, welcome back. Wound up breaking another finger. Mm. I had a tough scratch in my finger, which isn't the worst thing, but it was still another week. Mm. Then he's like, hey, like you're back in the lineup. Uh, it's uh, You're playing Friday. It's like Monday. Tuesday, the guy from like the Utah Jazz test positive for COVID. Yep. We're all like, oh, nothing's going to happen. Yep. Right? Like, no, it's like, no. And also on Wednesday, they're like, yeah, season's over. Like, what? What do you mean season's fucking over, you know? And uh, so the season ends, and then that's kind of history there. And the following year, there was – 
only so many teams, and I was about to play, and I wound up having this crazy surgery on my neck. Wait, 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 uh, wait, 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 wait. Before you get to that, is it true that after that season you were traded to – you actually traded to Greenville? So I was traded to Greenville in a futures deal. Okay, you so were the... I, don't know, I don't know if people understand how a futures deal works or not, but That's a futures deal of the ECHL, mm. you know, basically you're like, oh, you get traded for a futures. That can mean money. Okay. Or you get traded for futures, and now you have 20 guys on a roster. You could protect 15 of them, and there's five guys that team could take from. Or you could protect, you know, maybe it's like you can only protect five of them, but we could take from the 15 other ones. So I got picked up in a futures trade to Greenville. Okay. But yeah. is that, that was just a paper thing? No, I was supposed to go to Greenville. Oh right, okay. So if I played, if I played that following year, I was going to Greenville. Okay, all right. So I'm sorry. And then, yeah, I had a so that the whole thing fell apart. And then on top of it, uh, the Greenville had gotten a new coach, all that. But I had a surgery on my neck, and the doctor wanted hitting a nerve, and my trap muscle stopped working for like six months. Get the hell so out like of I like mid season, I was trying to get back and play, um, and like I couldn't even like. Catch it because it was hard to get a job at that point with yeah. 17 games played after breaking my finger. Right. Like Greenville didn't work out or whatever. But at the same time, like even if it did work out, I wasn't going to play because I had no feeling in my shoulder back for six months. It's crazy. So that's why you didn't play that season. That's why I didn't play at all. Like, yeah, like not even like two, like a lot of guys that you play two games, this, that. Yeah. I couldn't even play a game. Oh, so shit. that was really devastating. What, I mean, what did you do? Like, how did you stay sharp? How did you stay in shape? I mean, what yeah, you, I mean, what'd you do for money? Were you living at home, working a job, or what? You couldn't even work. There's no jobs. It was like, oh, that's true. We're still COVID. It was yeah. miserable. I didn't want to yeah. go back to it. It was no, just, no. I get it. I get it. It was a dark time. Yeah. No, I, that's right. That's right. All right. So let's talk about something better. <laughs> no, you're all good. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Try, listen, I, I think you and I are probably on the same page with a lot of things, and I'm yeah. sure we're on the same page with COVID, which is why we don't need to talk about it because yeah. I'm sure we agree on everything. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about something better. How, after you played only those few games with Reading, you don't play 2021, how'd you end up hooking up with Adirondack? Yeah, so, like, my agent had a pretty good relationship with the uh, Devils, and he was like, hey, like, we're going to send you to Adirondack. And uh, there was a couple Canisius guys who did really well in Adirondack. Mm-hmm. One's actually the captain of uh, Utica right now, uh, Ryan Schmelzer. He's been the captain there for like four years. He was my roommate in college. Another guy, Conacher, his brother Corey's been in the NHL, but mm-hmm. Shane played in the American League, played in Adirondack. My buddy Nick Hutchinson had a little stint there. And it was just a really good spot for Canisius guys. My agent had a hook up there. And it was kind of like, hey, like we're going to send you there. You need a place to play. You're going there. And from there, it was kind of, uh, okay, fresh start here. I haven't played in 22 months. Did you get to go to camp with Jersey or Utica at all? No, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I didn't uh, go to camp. First practice, how did that, or training camp, whatever, how did that feel getting out there again? I mean, you had to have Bambi legs, I would think. It was crazy. I mean, I, I think, I, I think last year, after missing all that time, I think the number one thing I wanted to do was enjoy the fact that I was back playing hockey because you don't really get to experience a pretty. I don't think you get to ex- appreciate it. Mm. And after missing that much time, I think I was like, I'm going to appreciate this. And that's kind of how the season starts, right? Like, I'm back. Mm-hmm. But I'm back, and I have to earn a spot, and there's contracts and this, that, the next. So that's where it starts. Now, your assistant coach in Adirondack was Peter Deneen. Yeah, great guy. 
Well, and and for those people old who don't, school guy, you would have loved him. He was an old school hockey. Guy. Well, what I was going to say, so those people who don't know, the Deneen family, they're pretty much royalty up there in Adirondack. I mean, they they're like the hockey they're family. Their dad was the coach, right? And the GM when they won. So, Ad- so Adirondack has a great hockey history. Yes, they 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 were the American League team for the Detroit Red Wings mm-hmm. right before the Red Wings won all their cups. Yep, like Joey Kosher, Bob Probert. Uh, Eiserman didn't play there. I think Adam Oates played there. Yep. Adam Graves played there. I know a couple of them. But uh, they all played there mm-hmm. before, you know, they went on to have great careers and win cups here or there or the next thing or with the Red Wings. Yep. And uh, the Deneens, their dad was a coach. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin Deneen wound up having a phenomenal career in the NHL. Um, he's currently the head coach in Utica. And then Pete played 10, 20 games in the NHL too. And they're all old school, old school guys. You know, it was a small – Adirondack is a – it's not a big market. I think it's 17,000, the smallest on the coast. But it is a phenomenal hockey town. Like, what a place to play. If you're winning there, it's got to be unbelievable. And don't forget Gord Deneen, former Islander. Gord Deneen, too. I forgot about Gord. See? Come on. And you had their other brother, Jerry, who was the video coach for the Rangers right. for like 20 years. Yes, yes. Uh, so, Adirondack, you lead the team in games played and penalty minutes. Now, I if you listen to the, to the episode I did with Ole... I, it's funny because I know that Adirondack has a good rivalry with Worcester. But, and I'm thinking of, hey, it, talking about the time it takes to go from Long Island to Adirondack and right. Long Island to Worcester. And he's like, no, but if you go from Worcester to Adirondack, it's like two hours, whatever it is. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. Uh, talk about that rivalry with uh, with Worcester. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know what it is? It's, that division's funny. The travel in that division so far, so it's hard to have like these intimate rivalries. But with Worcester, it was... Worcester had this real blue-collar team, too, in my opinion. Mm. And it would get a little chippy for them. It was just – it was one of those things where our fans hated their fans and their fans hated our fans. I remember when I interviewed uh, Yannick Turcott, and he said he loved going out Adirondack. He yeah. just he, – when he was with Worcester, he loved playing in Adirondack. Well, and on top of it, like, Adirondack's glass is very low. Mm-hmm. And behind the <laughs> way bench, you have Section N, which is a phenomenal fan base for the ECHL. And right. they are, like, the hecklers. Like, guys, like, I know guys who get chirpy back with them, but, like, they'll give it to people. Like, yeah. they don't care. It's, like, old people. It's, it's awesome. Like, I think that's why a lot of people appreciate it. And it's this old rink with history, and, like, it gets loud in there. The ice is good. It's actually a good road spot to play, too. It's just it's just an easy, like, the experience is easy. You mm-hmm. know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's just yep. a nice experience. All right. So, we brought him up a few times. We got to talk about Ross Olsen. All right. You played uh, – you fought him twice this year, and the first fight you had against him was his famous double trick game. He had the Gordy Howe hat trick and the regular hat trick. And uh, what do you remember about that game against Ross? Yeah, I remember pretty vivid, uh, pretty vividly. It was earlier in the year. It might have been like one of my first fights there in Adirondack, and uh, we were struggling at the start, right? Like everyone's coming back from COVID. A lot of guys didn't play, and. Uh, we were losing the game, like, whatever, 5-1, 6-1. And uh, I'm like, all right, like, same thing. I have a new team trying to get acclimated. I know he's a tough kid. He's 6'4", 6'5". And uh, I line up at the faceoff circle, like, six minutes left in the game. And I know our fans are pissed. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, like, we're going. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, come on, give me one here. Like, we're getting, our, we're getting spanked. Like, these fans are going to be pissed that they paid for this. He's like, all right. I know, so he goes, uh. Just dude, I'm trying to get a hat trick. I'm like, how's it Gordy Howe sound? They say it like that. How's yeah. it Gordy Howe sound? Like, All right. And we go to center ice. Like, we have a good square off. And, uh, you know, he swings a lot. And 
as it's going, I have my right hand quick. I'm going to section head, pumping him up a little. And then uh, you went up catch an edge, and he spun out, fell. But uh, it was fun. Like, we were just, like, it was funny. It was a funny, like, <laughs> the square up was really good. Like, threw a couple punches, whatever. But it was uh, it was a funny fight. It was good. Your Olsen imitation, spot on, by the way. What's that? You, when you imitate how he sounds. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how he sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a month, exactly a month later, you had the rematch. Is that what it was? It was that one... game was miserable. It was a road the road trip. The day trip games are horrible. So a day yeah. trip game you don't go the day before. It was like we're up five nothing. End of the first period. I slept horrible on the bus. I don't want to be in Worcester. It's like no fans there for the for the specific game. Right. And he just starts punching me in the face. And like we drop <laughs> him. I'm like, dude. And I'm like, whatever. We you know we throw some punches or whatever. And like the fight could have kept going. Honestly, like I could have kept it going, mm. or he could have even probably too. And I was like. I was like, what are we doing? Like, get me out of here. Like, it was one of those days. It was just like, it's 5 nothing. Yeah. We're on the road. I got a three-hour bus trip, two-and-a-half-hour bus trip back. Mm-hmm. So, and it was one of those, just get me out of here. So, which <laughs> happens. You know, you play yeah. a 72-game season, you're up 5 nothing. It's hard to, like, stay with it in a game like that. Yeah. So, the fight you had before the uh, the Olsen bouts was against uh, Brian Bowen of Utah. And the two fights you had after that uh, was uh, Mark Olivier Duquette of Maine and Nicholas LaRiviere of uh, Trois-Rivières. Anything about those fights ring a bell? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're all like they're all good tilts or whatever. Um, nothing too crazy. Like, yeah. the guy Bowen, we, I joke with Bowen, he, uh, yeah. he slew-footed me in junior hockey. This is, oh. this is seven, eight years earlier. Yeah. I whacked my head pretty hard. I, you know, I was out for a bit, and... Uh, I remember I was like, next time I see this guy, I'm punching him in the face. Yeah. So this is pro. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this guy's by the bench. Once again, I'm new team. Actor. I drop him and I start swinging. Right. Like three, four refs come in pretty quick. Cause like it was by the bench, mm-hmm. but I caught him a couple and he goes to hit me. He just misses me. The ref screwed me. Yeah. And I'm going, that's from juniors, buddy. That's from junior. <laughs> this guy's looking at me like, what the hell is this guy yelling at me? But I joke with him long term after. And he's like, mm-hmm. He's like, that's crazy. He's like, he remembers slew-footing me. Yeah. He's like, that's hilarious. He's like, I didn't put it all together at the moment. So that was the only funny one with all those. I, I love the long memory. I absolutely love it. Oh, yeah. I was like, literally, like, I was like, this guy's going to get it. Like, I don't care if yeah. I get my ass kicked, but he's getting a shot. So we mentioned how you uh, ended up with three guys in your locker room this year uh, that you fought previously. One of them was uh, Sidlowski. Uh, that fight didn't go your way. No, no. Um, did you watch it? I did. Okay. Yeah. So like, that was like, I start the game. We would, Fort Wayne was tough that year. Like they yeah. were like chippy mm-hmm. and our coach was pissed because we look like a bunch of softies out there. I'll use that word. Yeah. And, uh, he's kind of repping us. I'm like, God, I'm going to have to go here. And, uh, this is game two or whatever. First shift. I have my first shift. It's like a minute and a half long. Skate up and down the ice. I catch an edge. I slide into the boards. I get off the ice. I started the game. Like I get back on the ice. So I just go back up with the face off. Like horrible start. <laughs> and my okay, let me backtrack a little bit here. My roommate goes to me, Chris Lidsman, the day before. He goes, Jim, that guy cross-checked you in front of the net, and he absolutely bitched you around, and you did nothing about it. <laughs> He's chirping me, my roommate, and I'm like, "Fuck you, Chris." Like Chris was a tough kid in junior. I'm like, hey, "Fuck you, buddy." So he is antagonizing me before this game. Like, man, you look really soft. <laughs> so we go up and down the ice. I don't look at the stat back or anything because Sid's a tough guy. Yeah. Not, not a nail gun, but he's a tough customer. Yeah. 
we're in front of that. He cross checks me. And I'm not even thinking about fighting. Yeah. I'm thinking about Chris Lidsman calling me the softest guy in the world for not doing anything. I'm like a minute 10 into the ship, like bags. And then I'm fighting Sid, who I don't know is a tougher guy at the time. Yeah. My helmet comes off like right away. Yep. I have no grip right away. It's like, bang, fall, get up, bang, fall. I'm like, this sucks. But like, I'm the type of guy I just don't want to go down. Like, right. so the rest takes me down. But, uh, it was one of those. That I remember going to the box. I'm like, I remember looking at Sid in the box. I can picture his face right yeah. now. So, you okay, man? I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's the long first shift, long first shift, right? <laughs> so like, and then my buddy Lindsman in here mentions dying. He's like, dude, I can't believe you didn't get pitched around. Though. You did you, you did it. And I was so tired, like so tired. Oh. So I always joked him, I got my ass kicked because of him. Ten days later, you got your first professional goal. Do you remember it? Yeah, it was a clap bomb from the point versus Quebec. Uh, it was long overdue. I just I had a lot of posts and stuff. It was a good feeling. That was really nice. It was, uh, it was funny. It was still like COVID in Quebec at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, we would always do this thing like called mask up with our hands. Yeah. So we uh, we score the goal, and everyone on the bench and me were doing this mask up thing. We would do. <laughs> we were all excited, and I'm going down the line. We were going mask <laughs> up. It was like there was like no fans because of COVID, and so it was. Uh, it was kind of memorable, and you know the sense of you know uh, of it being the COVID era, yeah. getting the first goal after you know three years of missing stuff. And right. It was it, the guys were great; they loved it. It's still on Twitter, by the way. I, I, I like that. It's they, good to know they still have that. I watched it the other night. It looked like a howitzer. It was. It was a slap shot regatta, Joe. <laughs> I stick to it. You can ask Corks; they laugh at me like Jim makes a wrist shot. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> What's the point? Go big or go home. Go big or go home. You know, before I lost all my fingers, I used to have a really hard shot. Now it's hard. But. <laughs> all right. So, season ends in uh, in Adirondack. You get traded. Whoa, we, we got to go back there. We got to go back to PL3. Oh, that's right. I, I scrolled up too far. All right. Let me go. PL3 is the best part of that. No, season. I know. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to not ask you about the toughest guy you've ever fought. Okay. So. Well, who I think is the toughest guy you ever fought. I don't know if you agree. It is. Okay. Yeah, I scrolled up too fast there. What an idiot. Okay, here we go. I'm a little little quick on the trigger finger. You're all good. Usually I wouldn't do that, but I was like, you got to go over PL3. No, I'm glad you did because if I wouldn't have done that, I would have had to call you back when we were done, and then I'd have to slide it in there. Right. So, all right. So, this guy is – he's a fucking killer. Okay. Now, he's playing in Quebec for uh, Trois Rivières. Obviously, he's still steamed that you scored a goal a couple of nights earlier. Uh, <laughs> take take me through this. Uh, how did this go down? Because, uh, like I said, looking going through your fight card, you fought some pretty tough guys. But this guy, I think, is head and shoulders the baddest dude you fought. So we'll, we'll back it up. Pierre-Luc Paternal LeBlanc, PL3, mm-hmm. who – we'll go back. We'll get to it. So before the game, our captain, Pete MacArthur, I go to use the bathroom. He goes to everyone. He goes, if anyone. So PL3 gets called up for the day because he lives in Adirondack area, lives in Albany. Mm-hmm. He's a real estate agent. Hasn't yes. played hockey in like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Retired, right? Living this nice, calm life. Our captain goes, if anyone fights PL3, you're getting fined. Like joking aside, but like right. serious. Like he's like, he's a nail gun. Stay away from him. Yep. I'm not in the locker room for this conversation. <laughs> this is the first shift of the game. I was like, oh, I was like, now I'm going to Lindsay, the guy who sits next to me, and tells me, I'm like, I'm like, ah, yeah, I don't feel like fighting for a bit, you know. Like, I, just, you know, I, we fought a bit a lot lately. 
And uh, it's like, yeah, you know, you have a bet. And uh, so I go out there. I miss this whole conversation about who Pierre-Luc Paternal was. I go out. Tyler Irvine on my team gets the puck. I throw it to him. PL3's first shift of the game blows him up. Absolutely <laughs> lights him up. Now, I'm with my buddy Chris Lisbon on the ice. This day, he wishes he got to jump in. I wind up fighting Pierre-Luc Lebon. It is a great, like, not great, but it's a very, I don't know if you watch it. It's a good fight, actually. You live. Like, I'm swinging. He's swinging. My bench is going, protect yourself, Jedi! <laughs> they all know who he is. I have no idea who this guy is. Oh, so, my God. Fight ends. Now, my finger, I go to celebrate, and it looks like I'm giving the shocker to the crowd. Yeah. And I'm looking at my fingers bent and stuffed. I have this deformity, like it still doesn't work. Like I'll show yeah. you, you can explain it real. Yeah. But uh, it uh, got stuck in the jersey. I'm in the locker room. I'm really upset. Like I'm like another season-ending injury. Guys coming in an intermission. They're like, holy fuck, man! You fought PL three. Like, I'm like who's PL three? Oh. Like he has the longest fight in history versus like Cam Jansen. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Next thing you know, like Barstool Sports is putting articles up, like. PL3's back in the minors, like this, that, the next thing. So that was like my claim to fame for the year. I actually couldn't fight after that fight because my finger got stuck in the jersey. Yeah. But uh, that was the claim to fame. And to PL3, Pierre-Luc Letourneau, I don't know what they call him. I'll call him PL3. But he had the nicest Facebook post after that game. Yeah. And I got to send it to you. He explains how he comes back to pro hockey. His kids are watching him. And he has this fight. And like he's like, Jimmy Maz, like, you stuck up for your teammate. Like, we got to get a beer. That was, But, like, this guy is a, a heavyweight in the NHL. Yeah. He, like, didn't have to do any of that. Wrote, like, a whole essay. It was the cool, nicest kind of thing I've ever seen someone do. Great guy. Now, Great guy. You said you watched you were watching hockey fights. How did you not ever come across this guy? I, I just – I don't think it clicked. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just don't think it clicked. But, uh, like I said, it's kind of – I, it was a good fight, number one. Yeah. Number two, the guy's an assassin. Yeah. Like, Jack Gregg's called me. He's like, dude, you fought PL3. I'm like, who's PL3? <laughs> so, like, and I was a guy, I was like, I love talking. I knew all the fighters growing yeah. up, you know? Like, I love Ryan Holweg and Chris Simon and all those guys. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's that. Dude, if I fought him and didn't get killed, I think I'd have a picture of it in every room of my house. <laughs> you know? So, the, it was pretty uh, funny, though. That's amazing. Uh, I think it helped that I didn't know who he was. Oh, absolutely, because I'm sure if you knew who he was or if you weren't taking a shit during the, the locker room thing, you'd yeah. probably be scared to death. And he always says, too, like, it didn't click that he was in a fight because yeah. he hasn't fought in a year and a half or whatever, right. two, maybe it was even two years, until I hit him. Yeah. And then you could even see, like, he starts to know what he's doing technically. <laughs> like, when you watch the video, you're like, oh, this guy knew what he was doing. Yeah, it's muscle. Well, plus he, he, he railroaded your teammate. That hit was, what, a, a season and a half or two years in the making. He's yeah, been retired. So. He even writes. He goes, "That might have been the best hit of my career." Like he wrote that <laughs> in the post. But uh, and he like in the post he says he goes, "I got hit and it all came back." I remember what I was doing. Oh, Me, man. I was very lucky that he had to take a second to that's, get back at it. That's great. That's great. All right, so. Boy, I'm I'm glad you uh, reeled me back in on that because of this uh, my stupidity. I scrolled over to Orlando, but now you traded to Orlando. How did that come about? Yeah, so uh, I, I I loved everything about Adirondack. Uh, I have a bunch of family that lives in Orlando, my sister, and um, it kind of just worked out where if I could get myself 
closer to my family in the winter mm-hmm. that it would be good for them and me. So that's kind of how that came about. And, uh, you know, I, I was grateful to the Adirondack organization for helping that happen. Did you ask for not ask for a trade? Like yeah, the no, trade, I, but... I had to go out of my way and ask for it. And obviously I really enjoyed my time there as a, as a piece of that team. And, uh, it was tough for them to do, but they understood the situation and helped yeah. me with it. That's awesome. So, um, well, you go down there, and uh, obviously you know that I, I love your head coach down there in Orlando. Uh, tell me what your first impressions were of Matt Karkner. So my first impression of Matt Karkner, I had a little bit more. So I was I grew up coaching Eric Bolton's kids. Another guy. Who, <laughs> okay. Yeah, so Bolts is uh, – I knew Bolts really well from coaching his kids. I was like, yep. you know, I see who my coach is in Orlando now, and I'm like, Bolts, how is this guy? So I kind of got this group right. on Karks, and uh, – mm-hmm. He's a really nice family guy and uh, obviously has an old school hockey, has some jam, uh, wouldn't want to fight that guy. Like He's a guy I like to read the stat pack and make sure I knew he was in the lineup. <laughs> but uh, really nice guy, great coach. Uh, him and Ben Holmes from both, good guys. Now, did ha, do you remember watching Matt Karkner play or is this another little blonde thing? No, I mean, you remember Karkner? Please, he's got that name you remember. Oh, Karkner. I know. No, you know, Jesse, there's certain guys like you remember like Holway, like there's yeah. names that like stick out when you're Nikki Fatiu, if you want to go way back, you know. I know. But, I'm just making sure because you oh, threw yeah, me yeah. with not knowing who Pierre uh, Luc LeBlanc was. So I just want to make yeah. sure that you knew who Matt Karkner was. No, I knew I knew Karks, but uh, yeah, I mean, same idea. Like I remember, I just remember him being a tough guy in the NHL. It was like him and Brian McGratton, I think, were the Ottawa guys. Yeah, and then you know Karkner played here too. You know. Well, I remember from the Islanders. All right, I'm just making sure. I remember him. With that year in Ottawa, because they yeah. made Chris Neal too. I think. Yes, yeah. It was like Chris, a very tough team. Yeah, Chris Neal, I think played there forever. I think he was. Yeah, they there. retired his number now. Yeah, good for him. That's that's yeah. excellent. That's excellent. Uh, you remember? Uh, you probably remember Karkner. Uh, he bullied the Rangers in the playoffs that year. He did. I think he beat up Brian Boyle on the ice. Yeah. Then they said he spit. No, just a bunch of whiners. <laughs> whiners, man. Uh, today you would have got a four-game suspension, probably. Four? Nothing on film. He would have been kicked out. They would have been kicked out of the league. There would have been people <laughs> canceling him. It would have, they would have said it was assault. You know, all this yeah. other bullshit. <laughs> um, so I know he's the head coach, but because he's a former defenseman, do you, do you get to work with him? Does he get to show you some things? Yeah, I mean, he's always working. On, you know, I, he's a bigger guy. He's a stay-at-home defenseman, but he put up some points. Yeah. Uh, and he's always working on footwork and all that stuff and giving us pointers. Um, I think the footwork stuff's really helped this year. And, you know, obviously if you have any questions about how to gain an edge in the game, like maybe it's something with your stick to like, you know, use it as leverage or maybe it's to punch someone or get in a fight and grab people by the elbows. It's easier. Like he's got anything defensively. Yeah. It's a great guy to take advice from or in hockey. Now um, you ever out there and you, kind of like just tap them on the shin pads and say you want to go you say that again you ever out there during a practice and you kind of feeling a little frisky and you tap them on the, on the I shins yeah i don't poke the bear <laughs> no. never poke the bear with that one uh, did you ever get a good look at his hands yeah, I don't want to see one of those in my face. <laughs> They're like it, his hands are like someone's knee. <laughs> so, I, but I tell I, you, what, he's another one of those guys. Like a lot of these old school hockey guys, like yeah. they beat the crap out of people on the ice. But they're the nicest people off the ice. And like I said, like great coaches, great family people, just great members of the community. Like 
just another one like him, Jack, all these yeah. bolts, like all these guys are really unbelievable people. And the, the thing I tell people all the time uh, about Karks is he, he, he knows so much about the game. Like he, he's a coach and a lot of, you know, and I'm, I, I always try not to put other people down, but like, this is his life. Like, obviously his life is his family. We know what a family guy he is, but he takes this job so serious, you know, like he just dove headfirst into coaching and it really, it, I know how much it means to him. It, it really is like, like, I, I just wonder what it's like to play for a guy that, you know, cares that much. Yeah, I mean, it makes you want to go to go to battle for him every night. Um, any anytime someone shows that they care, yeah, it makes a big difference. Uh, you know, because there's coaches you played for in your career, and maybe they're you know they're kind of laid back. They don't really care. They're just there to collect the check or be this pro hockey coach. And, but you know, he's a guy just like everyone else. Like I'm sure he wants to climb up to the NHL, and you know, you could see it by the way the game plans are, the way the film is, the preparation. And uh, it, I think it trickles down through the locker room. I think this year uh, we had a team that was very young, uh, new staff, and there's systems that had to be implemented. And this, that, the next thing. It, we, it reminded me this year, it was like kind of like, I, I think you're a Mets fan, but the Yankees right now are like six games over 500 in the best division. It's like that's what it kind of felt like last year where it was a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. But like we had the talent, the tools, like we had a good record for most of the year. Like, So I think that uh, he was a great coach. Uh, definitely not a Mets fan. Uh, I don't oh, really. For some I, reason I you said that. Okay, screw no, that. no, no. I don't really follow baseball too much anymore. But okay. I, I, I grew up a Braves fan, actually. Okay, gotcha. yeah. So yeah, but I do make too many changes. I'm just a cranky old man that likes it better the way it was in the '70s and '80s. I can't follow it anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but no. Uh, what about Homer? You know, first year being uh, being an assistant coach, you know, came right from playing last year. Uh, what kind of a job do you think he did? Yeah, I mean, Homer. I mean. Sure, it's his first year coaching, but he's been a captain in the American yeah. League for like seven years or whatever it is. And you could tell that, like, you know, his public speaking skills and his ability to just relate to the locker room. And he's another guy who's like, he wasn't a point per game guy his whole career, and he played in the NHL. Like, sure, it wasn't as long as Karks, mm-hmm. but he got there because we talked about earlier, like, finding your niche on a team or an organization, like, not every guy is going to score a thousand goals for Homer. It was, he's a phenomenal faceoff guy, yep. defensive specialist, and he can put up some points. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, I think the forwards loved him because they'd go over faceoffs every day and, you yep. know, he beat them every time because he was so good at them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's great. <laughs> so, um, got, we, we talked about Ole now a few times. Now you're finally sharing the same locker room with him. Uh, I, I told him, you heard the interview, uh, just being around you guys that one morning and just seeing the way he interacted with everybody, um, man, I, I think he was the, he's a perfect captain. He just, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure he gets mad. I'm sure he's demanding, but it also seems like he, he keeps the team loose. And, uh, what was it like being finally after battling him all those years, being a teammate of Ole's? Yeah, it was nice. I mean, I think it kind of fit our team's identity of just being this blue collar, hardworking team. And, uh, you know, you know what you're getting every night out of all. You're getting a guy who's going to work hard. And, man, the guy makes a living in front of the net. Like, he had yeah. 30 goals, I think, this year, or close to it, or give or take. And they're all in front of the net. And yeah. I remember playing against him in Worcester. Like, I think one of the goals, I like, cross-checked him in the net, and the puck hit him. Like, the guy <laughs> knows how to score in front of the net. Yeah. And, uh, obviously, it's great energy on and off the ice. And he's just a really good guy and a good human. And, uh, 
you know, that's what I got to say about him. He mentioned there was one day in practice you guys were getting a little feisty and Karks wanted to know if you were going to see round three. He did ask that. <laughs> I was a little upset at all. I was like, it was in front of the net. I was like, I wanted a tougher battle. And I was like, I swung my stick at him. And then he swung his stick harder at me. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> this could be found three here. Like you had two guys like wires crossed, yeah. you know, and uh, thankfully it calmed down for a second there. So it was good. But uh, yeah, round three was close to happening there. So um, when I was down there, unfortunately uh, for Sid, he was hurt. He was out with an injury. Uh, but fortunately for me, I got to talk with him quite a bit. He seems like a really, really good guy. Um, another guy that we mentioned that you fought. Now you get to share a locker room with him. Um, seems like a, a, a pretty pretty good veteran presence in a locker room yeah i mean he's a former league mvp like he came out of major junior on a nhl contract uh you know like he said league mvp playoff mvp i believe won a echl kelly cup uh he's a guy who's been around the block uh he'll probably be in the echl hall of fame like uh he's just had a great career he loves hockey and uh i hope he keeps playing so I was able to get something out of uh, out of two of your teammates there, uh, Chris Orderbody. Uh, I had asked him about you, um, and uh, we we were trying to come up with something that would be safe for the show. Uh, he said uh, he said uh, one thing he could say about you: you're definitely a leader in the room, but in a very unique way. You always have everyone's back, especially away from the rink. Uh, you were the PHPA rep, and you took that role more seriously than any teammate he's ever had. Uh, he also was the one that probably had the most fun away from the rink and was always making sure everyone had a good time. Whenever we'd have a night out, Mazza was always the guy with the plan that he'd know where to go. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty well described. There. I got to text Chris. I swear I didn't tell him to say that. But, uh, <laughs> no, he was, uh, Chris is a great kid. Like, he just loved hockey. Uh, you know, he obviously got sent back to Worcester. Uh, I know yeah. his uh, girlfriend was there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's all about, like, you talk about, like, not missing a game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talks about making sure, like, everything is planned, this, that. Like, sure, you could go out off the rink. But, like, guys got to know, like, if you're going to go out, show up to work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, go to practice. Like, I'm the first guy doing that. Like, a lot of other guys are. You know, you're picking your time and spots. But, like, make sure you're showing up to work. So like, I appreciate what he said there. And it's, it's all good stuff. And what kind of a teammate was he? He was a great guy. He was similar to me, like similar to Ross. Like mm-hmm. he was a guy, like you want to make sure all the guys are together, like having fun, like at the right times. And uh, on the rink, like he he was a workhorse in practice, like finish your checks. Like he knew his role and I thought he did a great job. Like he fought Uber a couple times and mm-hmm. uh, he was just a good kid. Like I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, another guy I reached out to, uh, Luke Boca. And, <laughs> I'm uh, afraid what he's going to say. <laughs> no, again, it's it, these guys have your back. Trust me. They <laughs> definitely have your back. But he did say, uh, he said, you are the funniest. And he said, you're actually a pretty good karaoke singer. Uh, <laughs> he said, it's usually hilarious. And he has the whole place rocking by the end of his song. So that begs the question, what is your go-to karaoke song? I do Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Get the hell out of here. Everyone says that. They're like, dude, that's way too long, way too hard. Yeah. And I go up there. You get us both. I, I would go and not want to do it, and he would make me do it. And I'd go up there, and I don't know if it's just the person I am, the way I use my hand gestures yeah. and everything in New York and me. But, like, I would have the whole place. The place that I was like, 
you know, Freddie Mercury. Like, they'd be like, is this Freddie or Mazza? Like, what's going on up there? Like, <laughs> singing along, like, standing ovation. I, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily my voice. Yeah. But I think it's my passion that I put up there. Like, I know I know when to engage and when not engage. So that's hilarious. He said that, like, I might have to do one of those in a live karaoke stream on my Instagram for you. Are you going to have to? Either that or we're going to we're gonna have to go, me, you, and, and Jack, go to a karaoke bar here. I'm going to have to see this live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could actually if there's a good little crowd in there we'll get them into it all right well, your, what are you going with you going with anything or no oh, i don't do karaoke <laughs> I, don't do, I i sit i i sit back and appreciate because everybody that does it is way better than i could ever be yeah especially my, my wife she, i mean we don't do karaoke but my wife actually has an amazing singing voice she'll say no but yeah. she's she's unbelievable so i'm not singing at all so yeah. you can imagine what I sound. I probably sound just like gravelly, <laughs> stupid, you know, whatever. Uh, one other guy I want to ask you about, uh, and he was similar to you in um, when I when I did my talk. He I incorporated him too. Uh, Matt Barnaby, little Matty. Uh, what was it like uh, playing with him? Matt's a great guy. It's, uh, like he's honestly he's just a really good kid. Yeah. Um, he's more of a skill guy, where his dad was more that like. And to, you talk about people growing up that like yeah. you love to watch play. Like right. Barnaby, I love to watch that guy play for the Rangers. But Matt is just such an unbelievable kid. Like he's just super nice. Like honestly, if you asked to borrow his car, like our roommate Max Chaikovic, like he'd have a car. Like you know, if I, he couldn't use money, he was using Barney's. Like Barney's just a nice kid. I'm gonna leave it that. Like just a nice yeah. skilled kid. Now he's a legitimate Bills fan, as far as I know, which must drive his dad <laughs> crazy because his dad's a monster Jet fan. Jets fan, yeah, yeah. Uh, and now again, just like all your, all your boys there kind of ratted you out saying that you're a Rangers fan. When you said you're a Bills fan, they were like, no, no, he's a Jets fan. So come clean. Listen, I, the Jets were my team growing up, mm-hmm. my absolute team. Uh, I think when I went to college, I know when I went to college, both teams sucked the Jets and the Bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrod was a quarterback. He actually wanted to bring in the playoffs, but, uh, I think. The way professional sports are in New York, when I say New York, I'm talking about New York City and the Metro, like college sports don't matter. No. Like uh, pro sports matter, but they're not like to do it, the the end all for the city because there's so much going on. Right. When you're in Buffalo and they're 0-8 and they score a touchdown and you're hearing people bang pots and pans for an 0-8 team with a touchdown – the whole city shuts down. It's the coolest thing. You're like, yeah. what is going on? Yeah. Like, that's all it is up there. And it, to me, I, I compare it to going to school at Alabama. Yeah. Like, the city of Buffalo mm-hmm. shuts down like it's Alabama football at Tuscaloosa. Still didn't come clean, though. Uh, you like that? See, I thought I was a politician there. I thought no, I no, I'm not going to let you go with that. <laughs> I'm not letting you because... like, Right now, I'm a Bills fan. I mean, you know, it, just, it reminds me of college. It reminds me of college and my boys and the captain Utica Ryan Schmelzer. I still have a Zumas that I wear to bed. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go Bills. All right, because you know, opening uh, opening Monday night is uh, Bills at Jets. Yep. So I don't know. You might still be in town. Maybe you have to come over watch it down here in the basement. I, I might have to. Okay. Maybe I'll bring my Rogers jersey. I mean my Allen jersey. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, the <laughs> Rogers jersey could stay in the car. I have plenty of Bills jerseys here. You could wear. <laughs> no, I'm messing with you. Um. All right. So let's get to. Uh, I got you down for. Um. What do I got? Five fights this year. 
Yeah, I don't know if you know people at HockeyFights.com. They're missing two of mine, but yeah. Oh, well, all right. So this is, no, I don't know. Well, I, <laughs> well that's a, that's another story. Um, <laughs> so I only see five. I don't know what two you're missing. So if you you know who you fought this year, um, tell me about, again, because there's no video, because Flow Sports. Thanks. They all um, take it out. So tell me, uh, I'll let you take the lead on here. Tell me about any of the interesting fights you had this year and who uh, they were I'll against. say my first one's preseason. You've been to the practice rink. There's no fans there. Right. Like, you shouldn't be fighting at that rink if you're probably going to be on the team, which I was. But there uh, there was this guy on the other team who's a, he, I, I wouldn't say he's a heavyweight, but he's a fighter. He's a fighter. He's a tough kid. Nico Bloshman. Oh, yeah. I yeah, yep. tough kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was my first game back since I had snapped my finger in the boot near deformity from the PL3 fight. Mm-hmm. And this guy's running around, and it's mm-hmm. preseason. And, you know, it's my second, third year in the league. I'm like, you know, you know, preseason's like, you don't want to deal with it. Right. So I wound up fighting him. And no fans are there. Wasn't my best fight, not going to lie. Like, yeah. he got the better of me. Uh, but I remember, like, I was kind of laughing throughout the fight. Like, the fight ends. And I'm like... There's no one here watching. This is even on film. I'm like, what am I doing? But he was being an idiot. You know, like, he was. He would tell you that. Yeah. Um, he was doing his job. He's a little pest out there. Like, yeah. he's a tough customer. But uh, that was my welcome back to 2022-23 season. All right. So keep keep going. Tell me about anything else. Because so then, I only see five. You said you had two more than that. Yeah, so that was number one. Okay. And then we had... Uh, Michael Turner, who's a tougher kid on Atlanta. Okay. Uh, so that one was like earlier in the year. You know, it was kind of similar to Adirondack where the teams, you know, were struggling. We're trying to find our way. We're losing the game. And it was just like, you know, I felt that like a message kind of had to be sent. Like I knew Turner was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't want to fight me at first. I think it was kind of like Olsen. I asked him to fight on the power play. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, dude, I'm on the power play for the first time. Because <laughs> uh, it was like a 4-1, 5-1 game. And, uh, he actually came out to me the other game and said, oh, I'll give you a fight. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if it was a good tilt. Like, you know, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Like, he was like, um, I'll fight you or whatever. And good tilt, fun. And then what do you got in there? Where are we talking I got uh, Darby Llewellyn. Uh, oh, yeah. He's not a fighter. He just, he was in the, he was one of those guys, wrong place, wrong time. Okay. Uh, Ian Beat Mackey, Savannah. Uh, same thing. He kind of started with me. Okay. Uh, but both good guys, like. You yeah. know, like, they're willing to fight, but, like, mm-hmm. they're not, like, tougher customers. Uh, Michael Morazic, Atlanta. Oh, man. Talk about one. Like, you talk about winning and losing, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. That one, I thought I was going to fight Turner, and out of the corner of my eye, we're losing at the end of this game. Yeah. It's, like, six foot four, 225-pound Slovak comes out of nowhere. <laughs> my bucket's off. My gloves still on, which happens. Like, I'm yeah. sure it happened the other way for me. And I am just getting fed right. And I'm like, <laughs> what? He's going on. <laughs> and then, like, I kind of settled in. Like, you know, I wrestled him. I think he was like, listen, I, he at that point, like, he won the fight. And I'm yeah. trying to keep it going because I don't like to go down. And I always go with bigger guys. But uh, that one was one of those you remember. You're like, I remember that Slovak. <laughs> so. uh, and then I got uh, Aiden McDonald of Greenville and Willie Narum or Canarum of Idaho. Yeah, so those were decent ones. So the McDonald one, the other guy, is like 6'5". And, uh. I think I like we had a little jam going at the end of the first period, mm-hmm. and uh, I just kind of was like, "There's like 20 seconds left." And I just running around. I was fired up like Amway Center in Orlando's packed. Yeah, and uh, I had the funniest square up. He's like, "I'll go with you, Mazza," and like the square up's the funniest part of the fight. I take him and I'm like, 
I throw him. I think a glove might have flew over the glass. And, like, we fight. I was going bananas, like, pumping the crowd up. Like, it wasn't even, like, a TKO or anything. But uh, that was a pretty cool fight, just, like, the atmosphere. And then uh, me and him almost went at it earlier in the season because he hit me from behind. That was a big deal. I auto-shed, and my glove flew over the glass, but there wasn't a fighting major for that. Okay. And then the end of the year was Will Nurnham. Uh, we're in on the road in Boise. I'll send you that one. That was a really good one. Like, we squared up, sold out crowd in Boise. And I remember, like, first time in my career, a lot of my fights, like I said, I'm not, like, this fighter, but I'll mm-hmm. do it if I have to. Yeah. Um, and I'm not afraid to say I won or lost. Right. Uh, I think it's all part of it. Yeah. This one was a good fight. Like, we square up, and I remember it's, like, 10 seconds square up. Like, we're losing, and I, I was like, all right, we're going to go here, man. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I don't want to go. And he's, I was like, dude, you're two inches, three inches taller than me, and you got 20 pounds of me. He's like, all right, let's go. So we, uh, we line up, we square up, sold out Boise. And I remember we're squaring up, looking at each other. And first time in my life, I'm like, it's me versus you. Like, mm-hmm. like it hit me, right? And like, we yeah. both swung at the same time, like, hard. Mm-hmm. Like, he just misses me, but I catch him. Like, you know, it could have been either of us. Yeah. And uh, it wound up being a good fight for me, like a good win. But, like, mm-hmm. it, I just I remember the adrenaline rush because, like, people were getting ready to leave there to, like, go get drinks or whatever. And you just feel like – I think Eric Bolton said this once in one of his podcasts, but, like, you know, we score a goal. Not everyone's standing because you have away teams there. Uh, away teams there. You know, the away team scores, they're standing. But for fights, like, it doesn't matter. Everyone gets on their yep. feet for those. And I just remember, like, it's me versus you, motherfucker. Like, that's <laughs> it, you know? Uh, Bolton was a guest on this show, and he was amazing. He was yeah, absolutely he's amazing. Guy. He's got some great stories. Great dude. As was Karks. I don't know if you know that. He was a guest here too. And uh, just as your Olsen was spot on, he does an amazing Don Cherry. <laughs> does he? Yes. So you may I have saw to go. your profile. You're, you're a Don Cherry guy. I love it. Oh, my God. I'll tell you my Don Cherry story when we hang up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. No, I fucked. Yeah. Don Cherry's he's a god to me. He's the one guy I would love to meet that I haven't met. Yeah. So... Um, so listen, Orlando, you, you're, it's cool talking to you. Cause I know you appreciate every place you played and every place has their own little story. But as I said, Orlando's a pretty cool place to play hockey, especially in the winter. And, and I didn't know that you had the family down there already. Right. So, uh, even, even and that's a bigger bonus for you. How, how cool is it to play? I, and not just because it's Florida and the sunshine. But that's a legit organization. Like, that's a first cl- – that has to be one of the premier organizations in the league. Yeah, I mean, I tell people, like, <clears throat> let alone the family aspect and all that put aside. Um, you feel like – I think we had fans over 12,000, like, five times. Mm-hmm. And you literally feel like I, – I don't know what it is to feel like you're in the NHL, but yeah. it almost feels like – it doesn't feel like you're in minor league hockey. Right. Like right. – it's really cool experience playing there. Um, the facilities are unbelievable. The coaching staff's top notch. The president and the the whole ownership they treat it like like you're on the magic. I mean, like it's great. Like it's just it's so good there. Um, like I said, every organization has its own perks. Yeah. Um, but just being able to play at that Amway Center in front of so many people and you just it feels more than just a minor league team. You know, when I when I was down there, I made the comment that you and I have a very similar scar on our faces under our left eyes. How did you get yours? My story isn't as good as yours. It just happened. It just happened. <laughs> it just happened in a fight. And, uh, 
I was just curious because it's very similar. So yeah, no, honestly, I think it's. I swear to God, I think I get one of these a season. Yeah, and this was from my last fight of the year. I don't even know. I don't even know how it happened. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's gonna stay or go away, but yeah, it's not like uh, it was nothing too crazy. No, no. My all my scars are my hands. Like I said, my yeah. pinky, my ring finger. I I mean, I don't know how I'm gonna put a ring on this finger. It's so fat, my knuckle. But it's, it's my fingers are where it, uh, the pain's at. Do you have a special lady in your life that you have to worry about the ring yet? No. Okay. Okay. But, but hypothetically, no. Speaking, I, I'm we just... can hope that my parents are hoping I do one day. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they're dying to get you out of there. <laughs> so, um, at the beginning of this show, I mentioned that you were a very good sport, and uh, I did an episode a few episodes back talking about my my morning with you guys down in Orlando, and um, as I was preparing, you know, um, just just um, in case people didn't listen to it. Uh, we were going down to Orlando to see friends of ours, uh, to Sarasota to see friends of ours. Right. And uh, I reached out to Kark saying, hey, I want to I want to come to the game, you know, hook up, what, you know, whatever, see you guys. And he asked me to come in and speak to the team and tell them my story. So uh, that was a big time honor for me, something I'm very grateful for. Um, as I was preparing for it, I said to myself, I think this is where Maz is. Okay. Long Island kid. I'm going to incorporate him into my little presentation, but of course I didn't tell you. So, uh, so I just wanted to thank you because I know I caught you by surprise that day when I said, where's Maz? And I looked over and, and uh, just from, you know, the grief you got a little bit from the boys about the Islander Ranger thing and the jets and the bills. Um, you know, I, I just, I want to thank you for being such a great sport because, uh, you handled that amazing. And, um, you know, you, not that I had any doubts, but you could have just been like twisted about it and you weren't. And and I just want to say thanks for being a great sport. Yeah. I mean, uh, both of us, I appreciate it. I think just coming from Long Island and New York, you, you learn to get your chops broken and, yeah. uh, just deal with things. Cause if you don't, you're not going to make it far here. No, that, and especially in the hockey locker room, if you yeah. can't take that, you're done. Definitely. All right, so, Jimmy, I usually start these out by asking, you know, who was uh, the hockey hero, who did you emulate as a kid, and I usually end it the same way. Um, first of all, thank you for your time. This has been great. I had a great time chatting with you. Uh, is there anything about your career that I didn't touch on that you'd like to touch on, or if you'd like to say anything else? You know, I think just at the end of the day, it's, people like you that are so passionate about the sport that make it fun to play. Um, I think there's that everyone judges happiness in different ways. And honestly, this is one of my favorite parts of uh, playing pro hockey is having fans like you and that just like to have a nice time and enjoy some hockey. That's awesome, man. I, I really appreciate that. So, uh, I'm really looking for, I don't want to rush your summer here, but I'm really looking forward to you getting back to Orlando and, uh, I definitely have to get down there for another game or two. So, uh, but I'm sure I'll run into you over the summer here though. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully I see you around, Joe. All right. Uh, thanks again, Jimmy. You have a great night and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. I told you people, I told you. Jimmy was a fucking great guest. Thank you, Jimmy, for your time. I had a fucking blast that chat. That was unbelievable. So thanks again, Jimmy. And now uh, I'll see you later on this summer. Uh, like we, like we discussed, maybe before you head back down to Orlando, uh, come over and watch the, uh, jets and the bills in the basement here. And, uh, I got plenty of bills jerseys here waiting for you. So you could leave the Aaron Rodgers at home. As far as next week goes, uh, I haven't decided yet. 
it will either be a solo episode or an interview. So you'll just have to stay tuned, but either way, I think you'll enjoy it. Well, I'm sure you'll enjoy the interview more than, uh, than me yammering on, but I'm going to try to make things, some, some, uh, some things a little more interesting here going forward. And, um, that's about it. So thank you people, all of you people for listening to this and we'll see you next week. Please be safe.